Welcome to No One Will Be Seated. I'm Jason. And I'm Fred. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going okay. And uh, yeah, welcome to our deep dive into the history of genre cinema. Typically, we do it one year at a time, one film at a time, but not right now. Right now, we're kind of doing our, our prequel season, I guess. Our prequels? Uh, this is the uh, prologue to the actual podcast. There you go. This isn't the actual podcast. This is this is just a tribute. There you. And I don't. What? <laughs> you know, here's the thing that's that's really fun to me is like uh, every intro so far. Uh, you know, you've you've of course mentioned that you know uh, typically what we would do is we would do this, but it's like yeah, but nobody's experienced that yet because every one of our episodes has been this this prologue into things. That's true. I don't know if we can technically say that that's our typical way of doing things yet. Yeah, it's we're like in that point, though, where it's like, you know, when you say, you know, and welcome to our show where we deep dive into, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but we're not going to do that. We're going to go watch Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's tough. Welcome to our podcast where we discuss cults and true crime. This there week, you go. Rogue One, <laughs> yeah. a Star Wars story. <laughs> yeah, so we're continuing our our uh, our examination into the phenomenon phenomena. Bum, bum, oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're taking a look at the Star Wars Star Wars films um, from beginning to end, and we're I don't know about halfway through, right? Almost. Uh, well, let's see. We've got what after actually this, we've got five more movies left. We're halfway through. So yeah, actually we are. There's ten, and so we're halfway. Yeah. Jesus, what is going on this week? I don't know. I we're think ridiculous. both of us have had like the the worst uh, bad brain. Of yeah, this, we this are, season. We are str- we're struggling. You know, congrats. Welcome to the journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're taking a look at um Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The second um, well <laughs> chronologically it's the second anthology film, but it's actually the first anthology film to be released um after uh, The Force Awakens, right? Uh yes. After The Force Awakens? You yes. mean after No, like anthology film it would be after it would be before Chronologically, it was released after Force Awakens, yes, but was released before Solo for anthology films. Are we really doing this? Yes, we are, because you said <laughs> anthology films, and Force Awakens is not an anthology film, so I don't know, man. Okay, so yeah, so it was the first anthology film to be released. This was the one that we were like, everybody was like nervous, but excited about. This this uh, film, there was like, there wasn't a lot of, um, nobody knew what to expect, right? I remember there being a lot of discussions over uh, things like uh, whether or not there would be a uh, opening crawl or not. Like, there was, right. there was a lot of uncertainty in, uh, in how a uh, non-episodic uh, Star Wars movie would turn out. There was, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of questions of it. And this was, or a lot of... Um... There was a lot of questions about it. It also like kind of introduced that post Disney, um, the infamous like production troubles. <laughs> like, yes. Force Awakens pretty much went off without a hitch per se. Like there wasn't really any behind the scenes drama. It was like everybody was just, you it know, nerds worldwide were just bawling into each other's shoulders because Star Wars was coming back. You know, we were eating up every little morsel that came out. It seemed like everything went pretty, um, you know, pretty smoothly. And then we got to this, and this... It had a road bump, yeah. It did, yeah. So, um, 
so this movie is is quite a bit darker than the other ones, although I guess maybe not as much as well, actually, I guess more so than Last Jedi, really, I think in some ways. You think so? In some ways. Um, I mean, we definitely don't get like a Canto bite or anything. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody dies. So, yeah, you know, there's that. Um, so that was a thing that people were excited and kind of nervous about having a grittier tone. Everybody wanted that war movie, which was what Gareth Edwards said was coming. But then like the infamous reshoots came and they brought yeah. Tony Gilroy in to, um, to basically write the script for new scenes that were being shot. And then basically he kind of, they said he kind of took over the post-production, but from what I've read or, and heard, he kind of took the film over and like yeah. directed the reshoots and kind of took over the editing and everything from Gareth Edwards because um, he like brought on a full on war film and apparently it was even a little darker than what Disney wanted. So they brought Tony Gilroy in to kind of change it up in a little bit. We'll talk about some of the changes that came up and some of them are, are actually, you know, they, they work um, a little bit better than they had before, but you know, that, brought about you know we got some great trailers and then of course you know a lot of the stuff in the trailers didn't show up because of the reshoots and you know you automatically started getting some people nervous because you heard that like you know up to 40 percent of the movie was reshot and you know all this stuff and then um you know then you have the drama around you know the whole solo production um with replacing those directors. And then you had, um, Colin Trevorrow, who was supposed to do episode nine stepped away. And, uh, then you had the, the recent stuff with Benioff and Weiss stepping away from their, you know, project. It's just kind of been a little bit of a, it's been a bit of a mess. It's been a bit of a mess behind the scenes, which I think is, uh, has, has hurt some things, but, uh, you know, JJ's come in to try to, you know, patch up some of the wounds and help things. And, you know, one of the greatest things Disney plus started this last week and the Mandalorian came out and, um, you know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni are here, like extending that olive branch and going, Hey, you guys wanted star Wars. Here you go. Here's some great star Wars. So, uh, you know, things are starting to look up a little bit. Well, and see the other benefit of Mandalorian is it gave us that great Herzog, uh, interview i didn't see it did you not oh man i gotta i gotta send it to you because it is a thing of beauty is it yeah her song is just great all around he was great in the episode i know you haven't seen it yet so i'm not gonna spoil anything but uh he was great so far in what he's been in and i just wish he would say everybody's lines (laughs) i could just listen to that guy talk forever bounty hunting is a complicated profession (laughs) So yeah, so um, so two episodes of The Mandalorian came out this week, which were amazing. It's like I, I don't. There's there are some ways that it is changing Star Wars or some of the the lore of Star Wars around that I'm so super excited about. The tone, the the look of it, like if if this is what you're going to deliver us on Disney Plus, consider me signed up forever. Like I, I've right. been so impressed with it. It's just a ton of fun. Um, on Friday. Um, the EA released Respawn developed Jedi um, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order came out and that's kind of like a return to you know amazing Star Wars gaming after you know EA has kind of bungled the last couple of Star Wars games in their exclusive license yeah Um, 
and that is a it, uh, it's a single player narrative driven story, which they said they weren't going to do. Um, and then after fans threw a fit, they were like, OK, we'll do it. And um, what I've played of it so far, I'm not super deep into it, but it's been amazing. So this has been like a seriously amazing week for for Star Wars. I called it like a week long force gasm. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, which I was both like, OK, that works. And I was also like, man, I didn't need to read those words. <laughs> i mean look anakin's birth was caused by a force gasm so i guess it has to be okay <laughs> that's right there you go um yeah so i guess we should get started in this right yeah what do you have anything else anything else cool going on this week that we need to cover real quick uh no it's been a real bad brain week so i don't know this is one of my favorite Star Wars films. I'm super excited about it. I've got a bunch of stuff that I took notes on. I'm going to talk a lot. I'm going to talk fast. Uh, bear with me. I'm going to try to contain myself. Um, but it's, it's a good lot of fun. This is, um, th- this is one of those that I read the kind of the prequel book Catalyst to. Yes. Um, there's a lot of ties to Clone Wars and Rebels into it, which, are, which is some of my favorite storytelling. So for me, this episode in particular just has like so much bundled into it that makes me really happy. So I guess I should say um, that uh, there's probably going to be some spoilers into the novel Catalyst and uh, the Rogue One novelization. So if you have any urge to read those, read those first. Um, And probably some minor spoilers into Rebels and Clone Wars. I don't know that it's going to, but I just want to say that just in case so I don't get a message going, you know, oh, I hadn't seen that yet. I want to warn you now that that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's definitely one I'm going to wind up watching, start watching probably later this week, but feel free to spoil because it's not like it's going to be anything that I probably haven't seen somewhere else. Well, and I have to tell you, I guess one other thing we should talk about in Star Wars news is, you know, Disney Plus did launch and all but two films are now in the Disney Plus catalog that you can go watch. I think uh, it's Solo and um, I think think Last Last Jedi, Jedi, because Last Jedi and and Solo are both currently on Netflix. On Netflix. Um, The original trilogy is up there available for streaming for the first time. Um, They even have the 4K versions up there for the first time. I need to get like a 4K TV. Um, there's even, uh, you know, a little Easter egg for, um, people who watch the, um, episode four, (laughs) (laughs) a a cute little change that, you know, we can talk about later, but, um, but yeah, for sure. And, um, Clone Wars and Rebels are both on there now, um, along with like all of the little Lego, um, animated stuff, uh, the forces of destiny, the female led, um, uh, shorts, uh, animated shorts are in there. So just about anything that's related to Star Wars is now on Disney Plus. So um I cannot recommend that enough at this point. I hate the shill for Disney, but yeah. they've really they've got a they've they've got a pretty decent service right now, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I mean we'll we'll see if it manages to um oh I don't know, at least temper down my uh my uh I don't know uh unwillingness there's a word that i'm looking for but it's gone my uh trepidation over over yeah. disney streaming service i think we've voiced uh at least in our previous um run of podcasting and we've definitely talked about it in private that i'm i'm very cautious over uh a disney streaming service now of course when i first made those things it was before they bought up fox and a couple other right. uh, properties 
So, I mean, maybe there's enough to sustain it now. I guess we'll, we'll see in the long run. Well, yeah. And I mean, the money they're putting behind the original content's amazing, but you know, they've like, they've done stuff like opened up the vault, you know, all of those movies that you, you know, old movies you couldn't find anymore, you know, that they would only bring out on like VHS or DVD for a certain amount of time. Yeah. That weird, and, like way to, to control supply and whatnot. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I, I know I've mentioned this on the previous podcast, but you know, our family is like tied pretty deeply to Disney because, um, my second cousin was one of the first Musketeers, like the first round of Musketeers back in the fifties or sixties or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so like growing up, like all we had on our shelves movie wise was Disney movies. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always heard, you know, tales of, you know, uh, goings on back in the old Disney days with those kids. So like opening, like going through there and going through like the old movies was like just, you know, shooting myself in the face with nostalgia. Basically I was like, Holy crap. Like these are movies I haven't hadn't seen since I was, you know, anywhere from five to 15. So, I mean, there is tons and they've got stuff from Nat Geo on there. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and things like that. So there's, there's a ton of content and right now they're putting together a bundle that you get. Uh, I think it's Hulu, Disney plus ESPN plus for like 1299 a month. Oh shit. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, no, that's, that'll yeah. sell me on it. Cause like Hulu already, I'm probably spending like 15 a month on now. Granted it's, is it going to be the ad-free Hulu or is it going to be the basic no, one with ads? Okay. It's basic ones. Um, but, you know, because basically um, D- Disney has bought the control of Hulu from Comcast now, um, they, uh, Disney and Comcast were the major owners at this point, And they've basically purchased Hulu from Comcast for they're basically buying their shares in like two years at a certain price, but they're gaining control of it now. So the idea is, is they're keeping all of their family friendly stuff on Disney Plus and putting more of the adult stuff on Hulu. Oh, interesting. So I'm going to imagine all most of the Fox movie properties are probably going to go on there, you know, et cetera. I know that there's a Marvel, some sort of Marvel property being developed at Hulu that's more adult. Okay. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. I, it's going to be something else. But we've talked so long about not rogue one we should probably get yeah we should, we should get, get into, into this that. movie we're already looking down the barrel of a uh, long run time yeah if you um if you want to watch along you can just sync your copy up with us we're basically starting at zero zero just a hair before the uh the lucasfilm logo pops up and uh we'll do a countdown three two one and then we'll go and you can watch along with us or you can just listen to our wonderful voices in your ear, ear holes if you want just talk about the movie um either way Sound yeah, good? It's it's good uh, it's good folding listening. Hey, let's head over to the theater. Okay. All right, I have got the movie up on my screen. Yep, same here. And uh I um, I can do the countdown this time. All right. So we'll do I'll do a 3 2 1 and go. Okay, so and, it's it's on go but not start, right? Um yes, it's on go. Okay. I'll hold you to it. Okay. You get to do it this time. Good job. <laughs> Good okay. job. There's something to be said about tradition. <laughs> 5 episodes in. Whoever whoever's not doing the countdown gets to do the uh gets to do the the 
I don't know what we even call that ribbing the long running yeah. bit that nobody enjoys. <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I am ready to go. I've got it up. And you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Let's go. Three, two, one, go. And I'm going. All right. And I'm starting. We got the Lucasfilm logo coming up now. So, yeah. So you had mentioned this originally. Like, this is, of course, the first thing everybody talks about is whether or not there was going to be a crawl. Yeah. And we do get the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But then all of a sudden it's just shunk, which is a little bit jarring. I think I jumped in my seat a little bit when I. Oh, really? uh, Yeah. When this happened, because I, you know, it was it's very loud and very sudden. But you will notice that there's little subtle nods. If you look at the rings, the shadow is in a triangle. So it looks like the uh, Star Destroyer coming into screen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really neat. Um. I, I actually don't mind the, the sudden jump in. I don't either. It just took, it took me off guard. <laughs> I think, like I said last time when we were doing solo, I almost prefer that over the extended, like, just title cards. Yeah. Now, there was a four-sentence um, crawl done mm-hmm. um, and, and written up in the original script, but uh, Disney had kind of decided that they wanted to keep, or you know, at least Kathleen Kennedy had decided she wanted to keep the crawl to the saga films. Which makes me a little nervous because I'd like to see it in the future. And if the saga films are done, you know, like, are we never going to see it again? Right. You know? Um, yeah, so the first planet we're on is Lamu, which is uh, where the Urso family is hiding, basically, from Krennic. It's also uh, French for the cow. Oh. Um. Basically, this is where the family goes in the hiding with the help of Saw Gerrera at the end of um, the novel Catalyst. Uh, this whole entire set like evokes the homestead. We got blue milk. We got a moisture evaporator outside. You know, you look at the general architecture. It's like, you know, it just evokes the original Lars homestead in a lot of ways. It's it's kind of weird seeing. Um, I don't know, like that their TVs don't really have color. Like, yeah. they're all blue-tinted and whatnot. Right. Uh, it's just one of those things where, like, considering the, the bar out of Episode 2 where there's the colors, yes, uh, TVs, and then, like, this weird, like, shift down to, to this where you would right. think it almost would be, at this point, cheaper to manufacture. But I don't yeah. know. That's weird nitpicky shit. That's, that is, like, one of the issues I had with them going, like, full-color touchscreens, you know, and all kinds of stuff was I know that, like, there's supposed to be, like, a technological shift like regression after the empire yeah. takes over. Um, I love these troopers here. These, uh, these are the death troopers. Yeah. These death troopers. Um, this is meant to mirror the, uh, scene and a new hope where Vader comes into the Utanta four hallway. Mm-hmm. Instead of having a black figure surrounded by white troopers, you have a white figure surrounded by black troopers. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. Like mirroring or flip. Yeah. It's an inverse of it. Um, the original idea of the Death Troopers were um, that they were they were called Death Troopers because they were actually resurrected um, beings. Oh, interesting. And uh, their um, helmets were supposed to be like smaller than the rest of their body because they were supposed to be some like some crazy like experiment. I'm, you know, that's the thing that I never minded was the idea of like Palpatine running all these weird experiments and everything. Yeah. Yeah, which is part of new canon, like all the crazy, like especially occult stuff that he's doing behind the scenes. Yeah, like all of his separate plans as well, because you got the Project Cinder or whatever out of uh, um, Battlefront 2. Right. 
which is canon. Yeah. Um, you know, this is one of those things where you don't have to read the book, but if you've read the book, like there's so much history with these guys. These are basically like friends back back to like college where they met. Right. Uh Krennic and um Oh fuck. And, yeah, and Galen Urso is like is brilliant and he's very socially awkward and he's not very, you know, ambitious. He just likes to, you know, do his science. And Krennic is like this guy who very much wants stature and, and status and he's very ambitious and he's kind of like that kind of over, I don't want to say bully, but kind of like overly aggressive friend that kind of keeps Galen underneath his wing. Right. To cash in on his, you know, his abilities and his, his geniusness. Geniusness. Yeah, he's, he's, genius. the, um, he's the, the jock that's like keeping you around just for the homework. Yeah, exactly. Not to say Krennic's not smart because he's a great engineer, you know, but he doesn't want to be an engineer. He wants to be a moth, right? right? So he, uh, you know, so there's a ton of history between these guys and, you know, and, and it's interesting because I wrote down like within the first like five minutes of this, the, the acting bef- between these two powerhouse like actors are already like hands and feet above like a lot of the trilogy. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, both of them can just steal a scene. Yeah, there's just this, it just takes it up like a level, you know. Um, How do you feel about this planet design? I really like this, like, dark, like, almost uh, volcanic-looking yeah, uh, soil. Right, I really like it. It's almost like, um, I don't know if this was shot in Iceland or not, but it reminds me a lot of, like, Iceland. Yeah. Uh, originally, um, Lyra, his wife, was supposed to be a Jedi. Oh, that would have been interesting. And yeah, but they they scrapped that idea, and instead, she's uh, she's like a believer in the order, like she believes in the force, and you know, I don't know that she's necessarily force sensitive, but she believes in it, believes in the natural order of things, believes in the the ideals of the order, and um, you know, it, kind of a, a a relic of that is how she's dressed. She's kind of dressed like a Jedi. Okay. You know, it's always been interesting to me, the, uh, again, that variable damage in blasters, where it's like, sometimes you get hit with a blaster, it's just nothing, and other times it's like, uh, you're insta-killed. Yeah. I think there's different, uh, you know, different energy. I like this little uh, trapdoor uh, deal into this little bunker. Um, I like this, that she's got a Stormtrooper doll. Yeah, because it does kind of go into this idea that that's been explored in New Can, and I I've talked about it a little bit about the fact that it's not a black and white good versus evil thing. Like a yeah. lot of the uh, galaxy thinks the Empire is good. Well, it would be a thing where it's like I'm sure in Nazi Germany, like you know, you had Nazi dolls. You know, you would get yeah. like your your probably like your SS doll or something. Yeah, well, and to some people, it's it's just the government, right? Yeah, it's just another form of government. One of my favorite characters uh, in extended canon, who ends up being one of the major players in post Jedi um, lore, like she was a diehard, um, you know, uh, believer in the Empire because she, her world was full of drugs and crime, and the Empire came in and cl- you know cleaned it up, and she thought it was great. Yeah, you know, she didn't necessarily you know uh, feel like they were the evil ones until later on, but. You know, here we've got Saw Gerrera, who uh, is a character from who started out in the Clone Wars and went into Rebels and showed up in here. We'll talk about him 
in his character a little later. Yeah, that's definitely one of those characters that I feel like, uh, or I felt like when I was going into this movie, um, that I really would have benefited from watching some of the, the extra content. Yep. Uh, the title music. <laughs> I was going to ask how you felt about that. It's a little jarring. I actually wrote that down too. Uh, um, just a real quick thing. When you talk about the novelization and, and stuff like that, uh, her, uh, cellmate there, I believe her name is nails and they hate each other. <laughs> oh yeah. Really and they're like constantly talking about. Nails is talking about like the next time they go out on like work duty or something, she's going to kill her. And they're always going back and forth with each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, the music I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, and I'm a huge fan of Michael Giacchino. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his, you know, he's huge with JJ. Um, yeah. I mean, his, his work in like Star Trek was, Oh yeah. And solid. fringe. Um, you just name it. But part of the issue is um, he actually only had something like four and a half, five weeks to score this movie. Was that due to the uh, production problems? Yeah, the original, um, the original composer was Alexander Des- Desplat, I think his name was, or Desplat. Okay. Um, the, I, don't, I, can, I don't know Do how to say Do you have anything else that, that that composer had worked on? Um, yeah, he had done stuff for like Godzilla and Zero Dark Thirty and some of the Harry Potter movies. Okay. Um, but when they had to do the research, he was not available. So they ended right. up bringing in Michael Giacchino. So Giacchino only had like a little bit over a month to write the music for this. So I, I, he did the best he could. You know what I mean? And some of his stuff is amazing, but it, I don't know. It's, it doesn't work with me on all, all parts. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some bits where it works better than others. Like I, I didn't mind the music as it's coming into this, uh, this location here. Right. Um, I don't know. It, it still felt more Star Trek than Star Wars, but yes. that's still yep. okay. Um, this is one of my favorite bits cause this sets the tone for the movie. Yeah. And it, it feels very, um, it feels very spy movie as well. Yes. And this guy is part of the, um, um, the, uh, uh, this guy is part of the Partisans, which is Saw Gerrera's uh, group. Okay. Um, and Cassian, one of Cassian's um, aliases is Fulcrum, which Fulcrum is the code name for um, like a double agent in like Star Wars Rebels. Right. And one of his original, like, uh, originally he was supposed to be a double agent for the Empire. Got it. Um, which I'm glad they kind of got rid of. But I mean, it also some... like... No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, there's a lot of that in um, some of the marketing where there was a lot of, like, I remember a lot of uh, speculation early on whether or not, like, Jin was going to be a right. double agent or whether or not another character was going to be a double agent, that sort of deal. Right. Um, I love this so much because this spells the tone and it also talks about, this also sets up that, like, this isn't, like, the rebels aren't shining white knights. Yeah, well, and also there's a thing where it's like when you're given these stakes, I feel like a lot of these things are justified. Yeah, but I mean, it's to me, it's more like you have a you know, you always hear about, you know, you have this desperate band of rebels and it's like not all of them play by the rules. Right. They have different agendas and they're and a lot of them are going to do what they have to do to get the job done. And that's proof of it. You know, this guy's going to blow his cover. So he shoots him in the back and takes off. I love this dude here. This uh, that's two tubes. Oh, yeah. Two tubes from him and his uh, uh, brother here. He's from uh, Solo, 
He was part of oh, um, right. Infus Nest Group. I must have, like, missed that somehow. That guy right there. Yeah, yeah, it was just a design that I, I, I really appreciated uh, when I saw this first time in theaters. Uh, I really like uh, Riz Ahmed, but um, the introductions, the introduction scenes of Jin in prison, the previous one with Cassian and this one, are all from the reshoots. Okay. It basically went from, like, um, Jin being a kid to Jin being in Yavin 4 basically being interrogated. Oh, okay. And uh, they thought that was a little jarring, so they went back and shot all of this stuff on Jetta and the Yeah, two. I can imagine that being um, a little bit hard to follow. This is a Wabani, which is a, an anagram for Obi-Wan. Well, that's kind of fun. Yeah. I like this uh, this troop carrier with these, like, big old wheels and everything. Yeah, from... It's, it's a fun From the design. Clone Wars. Yeah. Which which is cool. And, you know, you never really wind up thinking, I guess, about uh, prison and prison camps within the Imperial occupation. Yeah. So that's another, like, kind of fun look. That's, you know, you can definitely see where it's a, it takes on this tone of, like, a, a World War II-style film, but with right. a uh, sci-fi uh, skin over it. Right. I also like how it nails home too. Like you don't really think about the fact that the empire used to be the Republic. Yeah. You know, and they're still using some of their equipment. Uh, it's mentioned, I think in the book in the novelization that she's doing this because she's scared that saw has found her. Right. That it's actually the partisans trying to get her and not the rebels. So she's like hauling ass out of here. Yeah. Another robot that has stolen my heart. That was, I actually had his like, I basically wrote down, like, how do you feel about K2SO? Oh, I mean, anytime that there's a robot, anytime. I'm even talking, <laughs> like, the the bad BB-8 in uh in <laughs> Last Jedi. Even that one. I'm just, I've got too much of a soft spot for droids. Um, trivia point, when they come in and they ask, uh, they're looking for Leanna Holic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the alias that Thrawn gives Mara Jade. Or uh, the, when the Emperor introduces Mara Jade to Thrawn, uh, he introduces her as uh, Liana in the, um, uh, what was it, Dark Force Rising, the Thrawn, uh, the Thrawn trilogy. I will say yes. I, I mean, I'm always going to trust that you're going to have a better understanding of those than me. You know, watching uh, even A New Hope and uh, Empire as well, I always wondered how these displays worked, yeah. like how you actually read anything on them or right. whatever. Like, it looks like just a jumble of nothing. They look cool. I'll give I you love that. Them. I just, I can never really get a sense of place for what they're for. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, they built it, like, rebuilt this from the uh, old Episode 4 set. Mm-hmm. Like, rebuilt it completely how it looks in Episode 4, which is amazing. Uh, we got Genevieve O'Reilly playing um, Mon Mothma, who reprises her role from episode three, that deleted scene we were talking about where they were kind of trying to form the rebellion, basically. Right. Mon Mothma is always one of those characters that um, felt like they were given way more weight in some of the other extended stuff, where it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't even realize that they were the leader of the rebellion before playing like Empire at War or something. Right. Yeah, she ends up being, I believe, the first chancellor after uh, the New Republic is formed. Okay. Uh, in this sense, she's kind of, because this is where the cells are, like, coming together. Mm-hmm. 
you know, forming the rebellion that we're, we get for the next three or four years that the war goes on. And she's kind of like the head of the civics part, civics wing of it. Okay. You know what I mean? Like her, um, and there's a couple of others at the big meeting later on that are kind of the civics wing. And then you've got, um, uh, Admiral Radix, who's like the, the military wing. And then you've got like the other guy that's sitting there. I can't remember his name. Who's, uh, you know, kind of got the intelligence wing. Yeah. Um, I mean, as well, like, I think at least in episode four, you don't really consider that it's disparate groups coming together and disparate uh, factions coming together to uh, to share this cause. Like, in by, by episode four, like, they kind of look like a joint thing, as little right. as you see them, and, like, right. one unified front when it's like, oh, that very much wouldn't have been the case at the start, or even then. Like, I'm sure that there was a ton of internal party politics going right. on. Well, at least as far as new canon goes, this is what does it. Right. Like Jin coming forward and then taking the group and, and getting the plans is what brings them all together as a basically, you know, where it's like, okay, war is war is on because this is also like just before episode four when the Senate's dissolved. Right. You know, uh, something I had uh, read was that they when they edited this whole scene, they did it to match the pace of the interrogation scene from Aliens. Oh, really? The very beginning when uh, Ripley is talking to the board. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, we got Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa again. Which I definitely hadn't made that connection before. Like, um, I definitely recognized, like, that I was supposed to recognize the character. Yeah. <laughs> which I experienced way too often. I'm like, I know I'm supposed to know what this is. I love, this is actually, uh, I believe this is the same set that um, they shot the original Yavin 4 thing in, mm -hmm. um, except they built the outside of it. It used to be like they put a matte, matte painting in front of it. It was like an old World War II bunker. Yeah. And that they had set up the inside, you know, the, the hangar bay. And then the outside, they put a matte painting over it to make it look like, you know, the base. And they actually mm -hmm. built the base around it this time. Uh, did you ever look at some, like, the close-ups on some of those matte paintings? Yes. I remember seeing one for uh, Cloud City that yeah. was just absolutely gorgeous. I would love to be able to see uh, more of those put out. They're so amazing. That's, uh, that's definitely like kind of a lost art form. I have never noticed before, but on that first overhead shot they showed, I'm pretty sure that the ghost is on the side there. Oh. From Rebels. You see the ghost a few times in this. But I also like this is this is also that darker side of the rebellion. And you can see where not all sides agree, you yeah. know, on how to proceed. These guys have their own agenda and they're proceeding without like Mon Mothman. Those guys know what's going on. Yeah, there's not like a unified uh, system of accountability right. or anything. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, they would like Galen to be brought back and he's like, no, kill him instead. You know, uh, you might know, like, what's what's the deal with the little uh, domino dots? Like. Uh, is that supposed to like show a, a rank or insignia? I or believe something? it's yeah. I believe it's rank. Okay. That was another one of the things I always uh, always wondered, but never bothered looking on Wiki on uh, yeah. Wikipedia for. And just more like this is just more like I have to tell you like K two S O is probably one of the if not my favorite character in this. Oh, absolutely. And this is just I mean Alan Tudyk is just incredible in this. Yeah. Is also a uh, beast of a tank in Galaxy of Heroes. Yep. I was incredibly happy to hear, because they're doing a Cassian Andor series on Disney+. Plus. Yes. 
uh, in the future, and K2SO is going to be in that, and I'm so happy. So do you know if they're going to try and carry roughly the same tone and have it be more of a, um, like a spy thing? I believe, yeah, I believe it's supposed to be like a spy thing because it's okay. him as, you know, it's him as, uh, in, as part of like Imperial Intel or not Imperial, but rebel intelligence. Yeah. So it's supposed to be more of a, of a, in, you know, espionage intrigue kind of thing. Yeah. Cause I could see it going kind of like Disney kids style or more Disney adult style. Well, I have to tell you, like. You know, when you see Mandalorian, like it's not full on kids. Yeah. So I absolutely yeah, believe they could do. I love this uh, cobbled together look. Yeah. So these are the partisans and and Saw Gerrera. Um, uh, Saw has always kind of been a um, like a fringe character, even when you first find him in Rebels or not mm-hmm. Rebels. Um, Clone Wars. Clone Wars. You know, he's kind of a bit of a fringe fighter. It's like him and him and his sister. And he fights, you know, beside Anakin and those guys in, in the war. And uh, his story is kind of tragic because he loses his sister and he kind of gets more and more fringe and more and more extreme and gets more and more kind of crazy as time goes until you get to this point where, you know, he's been some through some pretty serious shit. Right. And is, you know, incredibly paranoid and, you know. Uh, they deal with this in the rebels too, where like the rebels have kind of disavowed him because, you know, Mon Mothma w- kind of wants to play a war of attrition and, and play it nice. And he's like, no, we're going to kill everybody. I don't care who it is, you know, which I mean, given his uh, like backstory and whatnot, and given the, the general um, actions of the empire, I don't necessarily disagree. No, it definitely like, you know, in some of the characters in rebels, when he comes upon them, they start having debates too. Like, is he right? Like, should we be going after like large targets? Should we be, you know, should we be taking out inst- installations? Should we be, you know, forget the rules of war, you know, or the, the, you know, chivalrous rules of war. Like, should we be fighting like, you know, uh, like they already say we are. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Cause whether or not we do or don't, they're still going to say that we're doing right. these things. So, um, this is my, probably one of my favorite sequences of the film. Yeah, I, I mean, love just this, look uh, at that. Star Destroyer coming into that the is light. so gorgeous. Yeah, and white. <laughs> yeah, I never thought that the Star Destroyers were white until I saw this. Yeah, I mean, I always I always assumed that they were like a, a gray. Yeah, like steel colored. Um, and this is the scene that had me gasping in in theaters. Like as soon as he walks up, you see Tarkin's reflection. I'm like, oh my god, they did it. Yeah, like we're doing this. Great. <laughs> you know, you couldn't do this without Tarkin because Tarkin is so important to the Death Star, you know, right. especially going into episode four. But everybody had kind of assumed that they were going to do like holograms. Yeah. You know, or something. Some other but when they did this, I was like, it looks it certainly has moments where it looks goofy. But I was just like, all right, let's do this. It's just it looks too um too plastic to me. It looks it looks a little too Toy Story. A little bit. And a lot of people didn't it didn't work for him, didn't like it. I just I just bought into it. You know what I mean? Right. It was one of those things where I made a conscious decision not to care because I love the character of Tarkin so much that uh, it just made me happy. Right. And there's so much like Catalyst goes into there's so much history between these two because, you know, like I said earlier, Krennic wants to be in top society. He wants to be elite and he grinds his way up where Tarkin is elite. He was born into it. You know, he's a he's a grand moth like he is like high society and he has the emperor's ear and he's basically everything that Krennic wants to be. Yeah. And throughout that book, they're constantly like trying to one up one another. 
and, you know, trying to go behind each other's backs to, you know, gain favor and try to, you know, sabotage each other's plans. And, you know, uh, up to this point, you know, there's been kind of two major um, projects going on. We have Project Stardust, which is the, you know, Krennix, and then we have a TIE Defender program that Thrawn is in charge of. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, Tarkin has always been supporting Thrawn, and, you know, we'll find out, you know, kind of what happens in Rebels, but at this point he's kind of like, all right, fuck you. I'll take your program from you then. Yeah. Uh, you get a shot of Coruscant there in the background because, uh, you know, Galen worked for uh, Krennic uh, in an energy program, and so he was, they all lived on Coruscant for a long time. Um, was Coruscant destroyed in uh, Force Awakens? No, that was Hosnian Prime. Okay, because uh, I was I was gonna say I would really love to see a um modern view of uh of what Coruscant looks like. I would too. Yeah, in the new Cant or in the New Republic, they would the Senate, the seat of government, would actually change planets every like couple of years or something like that. Right. And so the Senate was currently on like Hosnian Prime when they attacked it. Yeah. So Coruscant's still out there. I don't know, like, here's hoping maybe we can get, like, uh, space cops in, uh, on Coruscant. So here, we're going to talk about an interesting thing with space cops pretty soon. Coming in over yet another Jedi. Yeah, coming over yet another desert planet. Yep. This was, um, a planet that pilgrims go to because it was a primary source of uh, kyber crystals. And a lot of the early force studies was done here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of you know, Jedi um, stuff was founded there or was yeah, studied. Was so you can see like a little temple or something carved yep. into that mountainside. Yeah. But because of its, you know, kyber thing, now it's become, you know, Imperial occupied and they're mining the shit out of it. And you can see those transports taking kyber crystals up to the, You know, up to the Star Destroyer. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that was the thing with Galen is uh, Galen Urso was studying kyber crystals and their um, how they reacted to energy. And um, they discovered that kyber crystals can amplify energy. Right. So Galen or. Uh, uh, Krennic. Yeah, Krennic. Uh, there's a backstory where. Um, they're studying kyber crystals on a planet during the clone wars and the, her parents are captured and she's actually, when Lyra has her, they're in, um, prison. Right. And Krennic saves them in a prisoner exchange and basically uses that to guilt Galen into joining his energy project. And in the whole time, Galen thinks he's, um, researching renewable energy, basically using kyber crystals, you know, and in reality, they've discovered that using kyber crystals is an, as an energy amplifier allows the Death Star to work. So out of curiosity then, um, and this might have just been an oversight, I don't know, but uh, so then when uh, in episode two, when they pass off the Death Star plans, did they have a method for generating that energy? Or was it just like, here's the thing and you guys can figure out this middle piece? Yeah, if I remember right, like the idea of the weapon working was there, but they hadn't figured out how to make the power work. Okay. And that's why, um, Krennic actually goes and finds them on, on Lemieux or whatever it was, was because they couldn't figure it out. 
And they had basically that the actual power generation of the weapon was the last thing. Everything else was finished on the Death Star except for the the actual turbo laser. The, the I think it's called a turbo laser. So that's when he goes and basically finds them because he's like, we can't go any farther until you get your ass in here. Yeah, but it is kind of fun to see them just let's build this giant thing, but not have the actual like yeah. insides worked out. Yeah, which I like about that opening scene because you can tell like he's a man who's out of time. Yeah. You know, and the way he's talking him in and pushing him into doing it, it's like, you know, I, I like I'm screwed. Like I could probably die <laughs> if I don't finish this. You, you know, get your ass back in here. Uh, there's Dr. Um, Dr. Evison and uh, um, the hell is Ponda Baba. Yeah. Who we see in episode four. Um. And the reason that they're there is because they're on the run because uh, Evazon was a, a cosmetic surgeon and was experimenting with uh, like those decraniated yes people. Yeah, saw it and so um, there's a lawman um, chasing them because mm-hmm. there was he was doing a bunch of illegal experiments on his planet. Um, is this a thing that's like explored in Rebels or one of the other? It's uh, basically books. it's in the book. It was cut out too. Okay. Like you can see the guy chasing them at one point, but. It's like this guy and one of the decraniated are like chasing them down. And that's why they end up on Tatooine is because they're escaping there because they're basically it's, on the run from this. It's almost too bad that that does get cut out then because it makes a scene like what we just saw look almost a bit egregious. Right. Where it's just a like, little bit. Hey, look yeah. at this thing. But if you added in the lawman, it's like, oh, no, there's like background stories that are occurring. Right. Um, let's see, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying all these like various designs that are popping up in the backgrounds. Like, uh, yeah, it feels a little bit like Moss Eisley, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I, the more I'm thinking about, the more I'm wondering if maybe uh, Coruscant seemed so uh, similar uh, for maybe not even. Well, I mean, I'm sure originally it was for tech reasons, but I'm, I wonder if you could have a whole thing where it's like, well, no, these are like the wealthier aliens. And this is right. why they appear on Coruscant more in these in right. these like club districts and whatnot. Yeah. And meanwhile, these uh these other aliens that might come from these exploited planets, uh, you're not gonna find there. You're gonna find in places like Jeddah or Mos Eisley. Yeah, makes total sense. Uh, we get introduced to the Guardians of the Wills, which kind of gets into the mystical side of the Force, the Church Church of the Force, and all that kind of jazz. Get, yeah. Uh, Introduced to Chirrut and uh, Baz. Baz or Baze? I, I'm not sure. I think I, it's I, Baze. All I know is I hate this combo in uh, Galaxy Heroes. Yeah. Um, I think it's Chirrut says, may the force of others be with you. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, something that was said in the early drafts of the original Star Wars. Right. Instead of saying, may the force be with you, they actually said, may the force of others be with you. Mm-hmm. Does that feel like it's more of a... Um yay we're explaining everything or is it just like hey no here's like maybe just a different way that has been said throughout this area um i think it's just like a it's a, like a callback to like how the force originally was love that little dude you know yeah that, i believe that was warwick warwick davis i believe But uh, I do like, you know, because they're they're kind of looking into more of that mystical side of the force, you know. Yeah. Which I I like. Uh, here's another. Um, hey, Warwick. I love Warwick Davis. Yeah. Um, 
this kind of gets into another like example of Cassian not given an F as he like runs up and shoots one of Saw's dudes to <laughs> to save Jin. Jin yeah. saves this little girl who is going to be dead in 30 minutes anyway. Yeah. You know, here's the thing is clearly maybe that kid didn't deserve to live. I mean, it didn't have any survival instinct at all. <laughs> it's like, oh, gunfire. Let me just stand still and cry. Yeah, it's a really sad bit of the book where she like dies in her father's arms and they basically talk about how like they didn't she didn't see the emerald light or anything else. It basically just the shockwave takes him. Yeah. And it's like, that's sad. Yeah, that is the thing, right? It's like we see her save that that character. But yeah, for sure. It's nothing I had I had really thought about until you just said it, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, all these all these dudes are going to yep. be dead soon. It reminds me a little bit of the um, of the little girl and uh the first episode of Battlestar. Yeah. The one that's sitting in the, when they, you know, do their FTL jump. Yeah. I loved which, that, uh, that little, like, which, uh, what are they called? Wampas. That was in the background, the little Yeti dude. Yeah. He was actually, uh, a design of one of the original, um, uh, ideas of this movie was, it was actually supposed to be a dirty dozen style thing of, a um, of rebels that go right. after it. And he was supposed to be one of the group. Doing as like a full on like heist movie type deal. Yeah. Yeah. I like this where he's like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> and then, oops, they had me for a second. <laughs> I thought that was K2. That is a thing I that like, I don't, I don't mind being played up <laughs> is the idea of like, no, they, they all just kind of look the same. Yeah. <laughs> I just love him so much. I love this bit too. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a great, apparently like Alan Tudyk, like improved a lot of his lines. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit where he, uh, when he slaps Cassian. Yeah. Uh, he improvs it. And if you look real carefully, apparently you can see, uh, Diego Luna laughing behind his hands because his hands covering his face. Uh huh. And apparently he's like grinning behind his his uh, his hands because of the improv. Yeah. <laughs> See. <laughs> it almost feels like a bit of a play on episode four with the uh, sneaking in. Yeah. The Death Star. Yeah, Alan Tudyk is amazing. How do you feel about the uh, marketplace ambush scene in general? Um, and it, you mean here? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, like this whole like set of sequences, really. I I like it. It makes it feel very um, makes it feel like a war movie. Yeah, you know, which I really like. Reminds me of a lot of people said that it it's reminds them of a uh, sequence out of Saving Private Ryan. I guess there's a tank attack like in the middle yes. of the city. Yeah. Um, which I haven't seen Saving Private Ryan, but uh, how do you feel about this? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, for I guess... audiences not watching, it's the cheer it attacking stormtroopers. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's really cool to just see this happen, like this whole like martial arts battle. Um, 
on the other hand, like, I've always been a bit weird on uh, blaster physics. I don't know. Where I guess it's the only thing that seem to be slower than bullets. The only thing that bothers me a little bit is the fact that he's beating them up with a stick. Right. You know, and it's like, Jesus, how worthless is this armor? By the same token, it's like, it's so freaking cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I it's, a really, it's a really cool, like, uh, fight sequence. And yeah, and it also, you know, it reminds me a bit of some stuff that happens in Rebels with one of the, the characters uh, through a couple of seasons. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> I really like Baze and Chirrut. Yeah, they're they're a really good uh, pair. Uh, despite the fact that one of them, I don't remember if it was Donnie Yen or if it was um, the one that plays Baze, one of them basically gave away the fact they were dying. Um, like I, during like um, I want to say it was the one who plays Baze. Yeah, I, I think it was. Like he made some comment about, oh, you know, when we go out or something like that, or my character goes out like during a panel or something, and it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Which I think was only really a surprise to people who thought they would be the Knights of Ren. Because I remember that being a bit of speculation for a while. I, um, I thought there was a possibility they could, they could make it at the end. Yeah. Mainly just because um, I, I didn't think Disney would be ballsy enough to let them go the route they did. I could see that, that yeah. Is, that is kind of ballsy for Disney to have an ending in which nearly all of your main characters die. Yeah. Basically, all of your main characters die. I mean, I'm, the, the happy ending is that, you know, the plans get out, plan, you know, Leia gets them, and, you know, and here we see a live-action version of uh, uh, Protocol 13, mm-hmm. which is uh, an order that's developed during Rebels um, that they give where everybody basically holes up uh, inside their ships and stuff and takes the fuck off because the planet's about to be bombarded. Right. Which is gorgeous. I don't think I've mentioned this, but I absolutely love Jetta City and the shots of the Star Destroyer and stuff being overhead. Yeah, I just I love the looks it, of that that like city built uh just onto the top of that mountain. Right. Like that's a really cool um design the way that it like comes out of it. Right. And here you get a really good look at the partisans. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Jyn or so would rather be anywhere else in the entire universe but there. Yeah. Because <laughs> she doesn't trust them. They don't trust her because as far as they know, she just abandoned them. They don't know that, like, uh, Saw Gerrera realized somebody had found out who she was. So he basically had her hide somewhere and took off so that she wasn't found out. Yeah. You know, but they don't know that. They just think that. And there was also, a, I don't know if you noticed or not, but a, a Jajarit game going on. Yep. Instead of a hologram, it was actually the pieces. I wonder if uh, somebody's probably written up the rules and and how to play on that thing somewhere. I'm sure. I haven't looked, but I can almost guarantee it. That'd be fun to find a, a like rule set of it, or somebody's probably put up put together like some game pieces. It'd be fun to uh, pick that up and then I don't know, film playing a game or two. Yeah. I I like how because he's force sensitive in one way or another that Chirrut can kind of sense that he's got a dark side about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not mentioned here, but his um, his family are actually separatists. Oh, really? 
Yep, in the Clone Wars, they were Separatists. I think he fought in the Clone Wars at like age six or something for the Separatists, if I remember right. Um, is that another like a uh, book piece? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm hoping it gets explored in the Cassian series a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see it not just because I think that child soldier might be a little uh, touchy. Yeah, they might like you probably won't see it, but they might talk about it. Might like bring it up, maybe or something like that. Like you wouldn't necessarily. Uh, I love Forrest Whitaker. I was just about to ask how you felt about him. uh, I love Forrest Whitaker. I think this is like the one allowed. Like you always get to have like one over the top performance in a Star Wars film. Uh huh. I kind of feel like that's relegated to Saw. (laughs) Right. His look has changed a couple of times. If you see the uh, the film trailers, he looks different. Right. And uh, it's because I believe they reshot his stuff. Um, And to this point, as far as I know, it's not really explained all the shit that happened to him because he doesn't look like this at the end of his appearances in Rebels. Oh, no. Which no, which basically Rebels ends a year before this. Okay. It 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 ends at uh, one BBY, and this is zero BBY. Obviously. Yeah. The Battle of Yavin is basically days away. Yeah, I was gonna ask if uh, they ever talked about like why he's got that little uh, mask deal. Yeah, well, he's got the respirator. He's got um, the. Uh, metal feet yeah which he doesn't have in rebels like something in the last year happened that was not very good <laughs> you know it's it's interesting the way that like he's um i guess slowly starting to become uh or, or starting to look more and more like vader right yeah. with the uh, parts being replaced by these metallic pieces like you know he's got these robotic legs now it seems like he's on some sort of respirator for some reason or another right well and there is when he first comes upon um uh, Bodhi in that first scene a little while ago when he walks up and he breathes in the first time they actually mixed Vader's uh, breathing noise in with the with him breathing in and out oh that's kind of interesting then I didn't I didn't pick that up yeah so you picked up on something without that that he's kind of <laughs> slowly becoming more machine than man which I guess is maybe meant to to show the two extremes of this right where you've got this um the extreme of like the uh the empire and then this is the the extreme side of of the rebels I guess yeah yeah exactly i hadn't really looked at that but they really are two extremes no i don't some ways probably going uh, the i don't necessarily agree that the rebels are necessarily the center of those two extremes but right well the rebels like kind of are like especially under mon mothma's leadership like she's trying to take more of a center road to it something like more of a report uh reformist type uh right And that's where her and Saw Gerrera really butt heads is because he very much wants to, you know, I guess you could consider him almost like, like real far, 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 far left. Yeah, I guess he would be maybe like a Mao or something. Right. I... I love this because you get to see it fire, but you don't have to break the rules where. Yeah, where it's like the first. uh, Yeah. Yeah, where they're just like just just a little bit of power to it. And this is set up to look. 
uh, in a minute here, they basically, you know, copied how the firing sequence went in A New Hope. Which, man, you want another example of, like, just a, a sequence of iconic sounds. A lot of oh, yeah. those uh, Death Star sounds are absolutely just iconic. Yep, they are. You're absolutely right. And they get him. They nail it perfectly in this too. I didn't mention it before because we were talking about some other stuff. But I, like one of the two areas of the film I really didn't care for was the um, uh, the Borgalis, mm-hmm. the like creature that basically attaches to his brain and like reads his emotions or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In the book, it really screws him up mentally, and it takes him quite a while to get out of it. Right. Where here, like, he kind of snaps out of it mostly when he, like, sees the shockwave coming. Right. He kind of um, snaps out of it, and, and where in the book it takes him a little bit longer, but... Uh, see, I'd always read it as, like, um, there are some things that, like, allows him to, to reconnect or have a moment of um, lucidity, but that yeah. those are kind of few and far between. He's a little messed up for the rest of the film, but... Yeah, I mean, that's um, one of those things that I, I'd always gather was, like, oh, this is another side effect of having, like, the extremist side of, of things where uh, growers just kind of like, no, we're going to use any means necessary. And even if it yep. is going to uh, yep. severely harm you because fuck you, you're an Imperial anyways. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, I know I talked about how one of my favorite scenes in the, the whole series, is the opera house scene. Yes. And this to me is probably the most emotional scene in all of star Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how you feel, but I just feel like the acting, everything behind it, the way that she is, I feel like is the most emotion in the entire series. I don't yeah. know if you can think of yeah, anything like these, else. These but... facial expressions are just so well caught. Yeah, because she, you know, and it says so in the book and stuff, like she hates him. Right. You know, because she's led to believe that he's, you know, he's an imperial weapons maker and he abandoned her and he's part of the enemy. And, you know, there's so much like, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of like, disdain for him and it like melts away when he's like talking about what he's done. And it, to me, it's perfect. Like it, you see it happening in her face in real time. Yes. That, you know, she realizes that like, holy shit, he's not a monster and he's, you know, been planning this the entire time, et cetera, et cetera. He's not, you know, he's not dead. He's there and, you know, thinks about us every day, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that he's, and he's I like how it's juxtaposed to the, the same way that everybody else is. Exactly. And I like how it's juxtaposed with the the Death Star itself as he's talking about it is coming overhead and, you know, about to wipe out probably, a, you know, a couple hundred thousand people. Yeah. Um, I keep noticing, I, I, I guess it's just like standing out more to me is how the uh, that Death Star is flipped upside down. So the dish is uh, closer to the planet. Yep. As, yeah, as opposed I, to yeah. in... Uh, I love that shot. Episode the eclipse. four where it's... it's um, Right side up, I guess, which right. doesn't make a lot of sense for space, but it's not really a right There's, side up uh, in space. Ryan Johnson, the mm-hmm. director of Last Jedi, was one of the two guys, and the producer was the other dude. Um, I just love this sequence. I love the sequence of the Death Star. Like, any sequence of the Death Star and the Death Star firing and everything else just makes me happy inside i guess yeah. i just love death and destruction i love apocalyptic movies and <laughs> <laughs> i guess i like mass destruction in movies and this is just yeah like this this freaking shock wave incredible. coming through 
What's that? I said, yeah, like, I mean, the shockwave coming through, like, all these, like, destruction effects are so well done. And it's just, like, I don't know, it, it's weirdly satisfying to watch, right? Yeah. Well, and it's the same way, too, at the end when you get to Scarif. Yeah. It's, like, you know, it's 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 despicable to, to say, but, like, when... uh you know, when Krennic watches it and he's like, oh, that's beautiful. I'm like secretly like sitting in the theater going, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it right. absolutely is. Like there, there's definitely distru- uh, beauty and destruction. There's beauty and destruction. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Chirrut is just such a badass character. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one that I would have loved to have seen more of. Um, I, I like that. that we didn't. Yeah, I like that you don't get Jedi per se, but you do get these guys. Yeah. Um, is their relationship described more within like uh, books or? Uh, Baze and Chirrut. Yeah. Um, I think in the novelization, it's it's discussed a little bit more or extended canon somewhere. Like I believe that Baze was. Um, uh, was a follower of the of the wills and had kind of fallen out, but had you know decided to continue to protect Chirrut. I believe. Don't quote me on that, but which is one of the reasons why it's like kind of a big deal at the end, where he kind of you know starts doing the chant. Yeah. You know, after Chirrut falls, because he'd kind of you know had become a, a non-believer, or was you know. Uh, cynical at least maybe lost his way I guess I like this shot of the U-Wing coming in yeah yeah the the U-Wing design I I kind of love like I I hated it initially but I love how it's yeah how that's that ship is shaped I like how uh, those wings fold and everything that's yeah I don't know I'm a, I'm a sucker they... for any time that those ships like have an, an additional animated piece yeah, it, yeah. It's basically supposed to be a, a, an X-wing that carries people, is what they were kind of looking for. Okay. Um, in, in canon, you know, because people are like, "How come you never seen this before?" It's because this is the company that actually makes the X-wings. Uh huh. And this is a new ship that they had made, and they had only made a few before the the uh, state, quote unquote, empire had taken over and and killed the production of it right i mean and that makes sense like you don't want i i would i would assume that any of these these companies that you're the rebels are picking up ships from are pretty quick to just get demolished anyways right right because it's like rip saw well there's a there's a factory out there there's a company out there that's producing x-wings so we're gonna liquidate that shit because we don't need that we've got our tie fighters right and we don't want anybody else to have ships with weaponry um so yeah, if you're like a fan of you know canon and stuff, you know you just kind of watch that arc of Sagarera close right there. Yeah. Uh, in canon, I thought I read somewhere, I read somewhere that supposedly his last words were his sister's name, mm-hmm. which you don't see there. So I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but I love that shot. Yeah, that fade up that is amazing looking. That right there. Yeah, that <laughs> shot is so good. It reminds me of and when you set off, a, like, a, a huge bomb in Minecraft or something, though. Yeah, right. 
you know, and this this here, it's like if if you've read the if you've read Catalyst and stuff like that, you realize like this is checkmate right here. Yeah, you know, because these guys hate each other so much, and they're constantly like doing their spy versus spy thing, and he's just like, guess what? It's mine. Yeah, I win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like at the end of the day, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm the I'm the higher up here. Yep. He does such a good impersonation of Peter Cushing. Yeah. It it is kind of interesting that like for for a thing that was so um pivotal out of episodes two and three, that this winds up almost feeling like a side project for the Empire. Yeah. You know, because like when when we last see it in episode three, it's like, oh, it's under construction, and you've got both Vader and the Emperor like watching on. Yep. And now we're here, and it's like, oh no, this is just a project. Like the Emperor's not yeah. even keeping real tabs on this thing. Yeah, and it is a a little bit like that. Catalyst really gets into the construction of the Death Star a little bit more. Uh, and Krennic stuff like it goes through like Krennic capture Krennic capturing the uh, the king of the Geonosians mm-hmm. and like bringing him in and uh, basically coercing him and in, into you know having the Geonosians build the the frame. I don't know if they build the skin there, but they build the bulk of the the structure of the Death Star. Right. Yeah, we mentioned then, that, I think, uh, during our episode two commentary that they uh, took the materials from the asteroid or the, the rings right. around the geonosis. Yep. And then uh, they used uh, uh, chemicals to sterilize uh, the geonosians and basically commit genocide and kill them all. Yeah. Which is why nobody knows it exists. Which is such an interesting thing, right, for, uh, for Star Wars, where it's like that almost feels worse than just blowing up the planet. Right, like that almost feels like it's it's uh worse than like destroying Alderaan. It's very reason. like Nazi Germany, though, right? Yeah. Like you know, m- more so than we'd seen before, where it's like, whoa, sterilizing an entire population to basically kill them off is kind of dark. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the sort of thing I would expect out of like Mass Effect, right, with the Krogan genophage, not necessarily uh, in a Star Wars thing. Right. That's true. I completely forgot about that. For for like a series that is so oftentimes associated with like children and stuff, that's definitely going a bit far. Because at least with right. the destruction of Alderaan, right, you weren't thinking about really, it's kind of like there and then it's gone, right? I, I don't think until Rogue One you really thought about what it would be like on the ground in the first place. Right. But with something like that, it's like, oh no, that feels way more personal. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, um, there's a couple of episodes in um, in Rebels that deal with it. And it's uh, it's a pretty great storyline. You know, and, and I like this, too, because this is a bit of the like, kind of the, a little bit more of a reality of kind of things, because in a normal like movie adventure movie, whatever, they would be like, no, he built a weakness. And they're like, well, we got to figure it out. We got to go. Let's let's do this. And here he's like, do you have proof? Yeah, because they're not going to listen to you <laughs> if you don't have the message like. You know, I like that a little bit more. I don't want to say Lucas is uh, simple, but in in like old school Star Wars, there would have been a no. He built a a weakness in it. We got it, you know, and it would have been everybody going, "Oh my God, let's go, let's," you know. Yeah, there would be very little questioning. Where here they're like, "No, we can't." <laughs> yeah, the the rebel forces couldn't justify sending a bunch of ships at this thing to exploit some weakness that nobody uh has proof of 
Yeah. I mean, for all they know, it could be an Imperial plot anyways to draw out all those forces. Exactly. I I don't think I've mentioned yet, but I really like Diego Luna in this. Yes, yeah. I really like Cassian. I feel like, you know, I, I like that again, how this kind of takes a grittier, darker look at stuff. I like that layered thing where it's like, yes, I'm I'm trying to save the galaxy. I'm trying to, you know, defeat the oppressors, but I'm not a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do bad things. I You know, I like that speech at the end that he, he gives when he's, or towards the end when he's got all of the, you know, the guys with him where he's like, we've done terrible things for a good cause. Like, yeah, well, because at the end of the day, it's just that's what's going to wind up having to happen, right? At the end of the day, right. with, with something like this attacking this this larger occupying force, like you're going to need right. someone who assassinates somebody and there's going to have to be some uh, collateral damage along the way. Yeah, I love history. I'm not a historian, but I'm sure there's some pretty harrowing tales from people from like the French resistance. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm sure that there are some stories that are not <laughs> not great. I mean, we we'll see that even today, where it's like there will be something that happens that's like, oh, this this big deal happened here from from one force attacking like a an, uh some sort of government or something. But then it's like, yeah, but you know, collateral damage happened. Yeah. I can tell you, it it not as bad. Uh -huh. But if, if I had to make a comparison, I would say that this part of the movie to me is the Canto Bite of uh, Like just this, um, this sequence here or this it's, whole like planet section? It, the whole Edu thing. Okay. Like it's kind of off the beaten path. It like brings everything kind of to a halt. Yeah, it slows things way you down. Know? It's a bit of a di uh, diversion. Like there should have, if they were going to do this, they should have picked up the pace a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, it serves the story, though, right? Yeah. Because you get Cassian making the conscious decision not to fire. So he, you know, disobeys his order. He, you know, he he trusts Jin as opposed to goes back on his instinct. Um, you get the um, you get the moment with Jin with, you know, with her father. You know, there's some important story stuff that goes on there. You get the, you know, the thing like go to. Uh, you know, go to Scarif, you know, to get the plans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, so there's a, some important story stuff that goes on. But the whole sequence, like, I almost, I mean, we always do this, like, side seat drive or side seat direct, but I almost would have liked it if, like, Galen might have been on Scarif. Right. And he was like, I can tell you where to get the plans from or something. As opposed to going to another planet and doing it and then going to Scarif. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, just you could have cut down on a little bit by doing it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of slows things down just a, a bit, I guess. It's it's a minor complaint. Yeah. But I, I do love the fact that Chirrut is like, I sense the dark side. Or not the dark side, but I sense... You know, it's that, you know, your feelings betray you. Yeah, there's, a, there's an inner turmoil that uh, Chirrut can, can detect. Right. Um, you know what? Let's uh, let's discuss this. Uh, yeah, this is a good time to talk about what you want to. Yeah. Um. Back when. Um. Well, I was just gonna say back when. Uh. 
you first saw this in theaters, uh, how did you feel walking out of it? Like, did you, would you say that you had enjoyed this one? I, well, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it from the get go per se, you know, I loved the, I, I loved how like episode four ish it felt mm-hmm. like as opposed to the prequels, like everything in here feels episode four. Like I believe that episode four takes place in like two days. Yeah. Yeah. It feels right. It's, it's got that time period thing going for it where we don't see too much. Yeah, new the, stuff. There's a little bit of new things here and there, like the U wings and whatnot, but everything else feels yeah. like it's grounded within that same era. Yeah, but even like the inside of um like the the controls of the U-wing look like something you would see in episode 4. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all of the buttons, all of the controls, you know, these guys, you look at their costumes, you look at their weapons, they all look like They look like something that I mean, they're pretty like uh similar to what we saw uh either on Hoth with some of the uh commander's outfits or uh throughout Endor. Yeah, it yeah, it fits right into that 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 time period i like the fact that i felt like it was more gritty and you know um gritty and 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 grounded i guess yeah i mean it's 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 like it's very much that that thing that i think we've discussed before that um i personally enjoy when it's like okay let's just let's explore within this universe but just we can tell a different story or something so right. it's like well you you get that feeling of being in a uh the star wars universe but it's like okay but no here's like here's a different story within it right and I think by this point, I think I had read Lost Stars, which I know I've mentioned before is one of my favorite Star Wars books. Yes. And it had, which had kind of kicked off the the trend of like exploring the Empire from the other side. Yeah. You know, that it's not just like everybody is, um, you know, everybody, not everybody is evil, that there's normal people that to some people that that point of view thing, you know, where it's like you, you know, the, the rebels are actually the terrorists. Like yeah. society is fine. Like I'm, my life is fine. You know, there's law and order now and you guys are killing, you know, thousands or millions of people in the case of the Death Star. And, you know, yeah, I mean, like, that's and, the and thing I felt is, like um, this brought a little good. Go ahead. I was just gonna say this, this brought a little bit more into that, that it was like, it's not cut and dry. Like even the rebels are not, you know, are not the greatest. Yeah. I mean, like one of those things that's always made me really curious is, uh, is what Imperial propaganda would look like, right? Like, the destruction of the Death Star would be such a like prime uh, opportunity for them to uh, to bring up this like oh no the rebels are are a, are still a deadly force so give us yeah. more resources come come join the the Empire etc. That's a good point. Like I don't know how that's handled because nobody really knows about the Death Star anyway, right? You know, uh, to that point. So I'm not quite sure how they the Empire handles like. Hey, the the rebels just killed two million people. Yeah, on a planet destroying battle station that we have been keeping secret. I mean, yeah, you would probably just <laughs> call it a um, you know, a a military installation or something, right? Like, sure. there would be some way to both disclose that it exists, but also downplay what it's for. Sure. Where you know you could even say something like an experimental space station or something. Yeah, a very large one. If you're talking, I think I looked it up. I wrote it down somewhere. I think there was like what 1.2 million people on it. I think yeah, was what I had read. I mean, yeah, it's it's like a pretty good amount. Cause, I mean, it is the size of a a moon. Uh, Galen Urso, fun trivia. Um, his character is based off of Oppenheimer. Yeah, that that I totally get that. Um, in fact, uh, the original um, uh. John Knoll, who was the head of ILM, I believe, 
uh, one of the creators of Photoshop, like he's the main effects dude for like Star Wars Forever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the one who pitched this, Kathleen Kennedy. I'm basically paraphrasing, like was like, "Hey, what do you think?" And he's like, "The four sentences in the episode four crawl, like they just won their first battle, and spies just stole the plans of the Death Star. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah." And his original treatment was called Destroyer of Worlds. Okay. You know, which is based off of Oppenheimer's yeah, speech. Yeah, Oppenheimer's speech after the uh, atomic bomb. Right. In fact, the reels, when this movie was shipped out to theaters, the title was called Los Al- Alamos. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, they didn't label them, you know, Rogue One because people would steal them. They were called, you know, it was, when it was shipped, it was called Los Alamos. Again, a call to Oppenheimer and the bomb. and Yeah. Which, I mean, is interesting, right? Because, like, that's to. I mean, the Death Star is basically just a bomb scaled up. And you can bring yeah. a lot of the same analogies within it, right? Where it's like, okay, right, but... And, I mean, I don't know. This, gonna, this might be a bit much for some people. But it's, it is a thing where it's like... We see the Empire destroy planets with this Death Star. They're not the good guys. Right. You know, we, we immediately see that. But we, I think we have a problem divorcing ourselves from that. Right. Um, have you watched any, of like, uh, Hannibal or anything? I haven't. Okay. I want to. I think you're the one who told me that I needed to watch it, right? Um, I know I have. I think, I think Nugs has told you as well. Hmm. Yeah, one of our viewers. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I really like Mads Mikkelsen. Apparently he's amazing in the, um, Hideo Kojima's new game death stranding yeah which i'm I'm still curious about i'm keeping myself in the dark which is a, a dumb thing because it's not a ps4 exclusive it's coming out on pc is it okay dope so mm-hmm. then i'll continue to keep myself in the dark because it was one of the things where it's like okay well this i is, think it's coming out next year but yeah it's like if this is just for ps4 then it's like there's no point for me to keep this in the dark i'm not gonna get one anytime soon yeah i have specifically not watched any streams i haven't watched any reviews or anything like that on it I mean, I've heard from some people that's just like, oh, no, it's just a walking simulator or something. But yeah, I'm like, you know, I don't uh, apparently it's very that. emotional. There's a lot of psychological, emotional stuff, which you would expect out of a Hideo Kojima movie. Yeah, absolutely. Or game. I mean, look, with Kojima, it's, it's definitely a blend of the two. Yeah, I like this bit, too, because. Despite the fact that he's kind of in some ways the twisting mustache villain, I'm talking about the uh, the main intelligence guy, he he does like tell them to abort yeah. you know although it's too late yeah but <clears throat> you know and in, in a lot of ways you know rebels screw themselves by you know not listening to reason and being rash yeah also congrats on not hitting that shuttle yeah i guess that's the thing is when it comes down to it, it's not that the uh stormtroopers can't shoot or anything like that it's just nobody can shoot it's a proton bomb, I believe. Yeah, because there's a Y-Wing coming through. This reminds me of, there was an episode, or there was a, a mission out of, I think it was Rogue Squadron 2. That changed based off of the time of day that you played it. Oh, wow. So it was like you were going to, I think it was like, an, I think it might have even been an Imperial labor cap, uh, camp or something. And so nice. it's during the day, it's like it's daytime, and I think you're flying like an A-wing or something, or you're like staying low in these cav- in these uh, caverns or something. And right. then during night, it's uh, it's dark and foggy, and you're flying this white wing with the goal to like uh, bomb these installations in the in the labor camp to like stage a breakout or something. Right. Uh, definitely get some um, 
I don't know, some uh, nostalgia for that uh, watching this. I get some nostalgia just in the sense that you've got X-Wings, Y-Wings, and TIE Fighters flying around. Yeah. Like, just those sounds, dude. Yeah, they're real good. Oh, it makes me so happy. And I love that bit that um, the cheer it does, too. Yeah, with the, with the like, bow-type deal. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I remember... Uh, as, as, a, as a weapon, like, that's another one that we just, we haven't seen before. Right. I remember seeing this bit filmed. Not that I saw it filmed, but there was a behind-the-scenes bit where she's getting water blown in her face and they blast her with light and wind uh-huh. and it was like oh that's that scene right there yeah there's there's some movies uh or some scenes in movies that's like make you feel like this would have been fun to film right like almost the yeah. entirety of like evil dead is like oh this would have been just fun to film uh <laughs> no, but no. there's some scenes like this one i'm like oh i don't know man there's a lot of like <laughs> wind and rain and all this other nastiness it's like that just sounds like an unpleasant day on set yeah Of course, Papa Urso has to die. Yeah. And I love this bit. He calls her Stardust, which is a big deal in the uh, in the books. Oh, yeah. Or in not the books, I guess I should say in Catalyst, he calls her Stardust is his nickname he had when she was a little girl because her eyes look like stars. Oh, well, that's really sweet. Was it? So, yeah, it was something like that. It was like her, her, her eyes reminded him of the stars or something like that, so he called her Stardust. Which, you know, they do a callback on when she's looking at the project names. Yeah. But it was it was kind of cool. It's one of those things, you know, again, it's the kind of stuff that I like that if you haven't read the books, then it's just, it's a cute nickname. But if you've read the books, it adds so much more to it. I love this music coming through. This bit? Yeah. This is some of the music that I do enjoy. This feels Star Wars yeah, to me. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of um, some bits out of, like, Episode 5. Or not even that. Episode, yeah. honestly, Episode 2 as they're coming into the um, into the Coliseum. Yeah. The uh, Across the Stars, I think it's called, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, because you get that boom, 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 boom coming through. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of still tell it's Giacchino, but... It feels Star Wars. There's some of Jakino's work in here that just doesn't fit Star Wars at all, which which is okay. Yeah. You know, they wanted to, you know, they wanted to kind of set it apart, but um, you know, John Powell, I think we talked about last episode, you know, wrote a bunch of original stuff for Solo. Yeah. But it still felt very Star Warsy. Yeah, it carried that same tone where it's like, okay, well, there's there is a feel for it. Um, right. I love these mining transports. Yeah. I also like how even those have got you. some weapons attached to them. I was really curious yeah. earlier uh, when we were discussing, uh, oh, Garen being on, uh, oh, shit, other planet, um, <laughs> that just, Skara, uh, got me thinking, like, about how if instead they did a, uh, Oh, basically like a, a, a transport heist or something in space. Right. Basically reenacting uh, the opening to Dark Knight Rises, but uh, space pirates. Oh, nice. So I'm really curious on what piracy looks like in uh, in Star Wars. 
Yeah. You know, if it's all just, like, larger ships swallowing up other ships, or if there's, like, spacewalks and plasma cutters and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I swear I've seen that in st stuff before, too. Yeah. Because it is one of those things that, like, could have been played in another, like, uh, more criminal-focused type deal. Uh, right. Because, I mean, we see a little bit of, like, piracy-type crews with, um... Oh, within that opening sort of area of uh, episode seven. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, it, you know, one of the, you know, big stories is Lucas had written a, a, a live action star Wars called star Wars underworld mm -hmm. um, series that took place in the more of the criminal. It was more of a gangster um, type of story that dealt with the criminal underworld. And I'm sure that there was that kind of stuff in there. He couldn't uh, get the, um, couldn't get the money together through ABC or whoever it was that it was supposed to go through. They kind of just were real him on about it and, uh, he couldn't get it started, which I believe they're using some of those, they used, uh, some of those stories in Clone Wars, mm -hmm. um, Rebels, and I believe the Mandalorian, some of the stuff may come from those. I think he wrote 53 episodes. Oh, jeez. Or 53 scripts or something like that for it. Does it does seem like those, those sorts of uh, long-form shows are definitely the better place for, uh, or I, not necessarily long-form, but long-running shows are maybe the better place for some of uh, Luke's uh, extra ideas. Right. And this is the one planet that doesn't get a title card. Like, we didn't really talk about the fact that they have title cards for planets in this film. Yeah. Which, was, which is cool, but this is Mustafar. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, um, I don't know. Like, uh, reusing Mustafar for this. I love it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I love it. And, and it goes so much into canon, too. The, uh, the, the Vader's castle is directly from Ralph McQuarrie's uh, artwork from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was going to be a lava castle, and in the bottom, uh, like the lowest um, areas of it, was supposed to be a throne room. Yeah, that tapped directly into the dark side of the Force, and 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 I love it because uh, here we get an amazing look at Vader. Yeah, in the back to tank, but basically the idea is is like you know Vader set this up, and originally I don't think it is anymore, but originally I think it was supposed to actually overlook the place where um, Obi Wan took his limbs mm -hmm. but basically it, it um because you know pain suffering and, and anger strengthens your connection to the dark side um he built his castle here as a as a place where he can heal and meditate basically is the closest p place to his pain he possibly can have so that was vader's idea because that almost feels like something that the emperor would have done as like part of his like uh prodding at him yeah i'm pretty sure that this was his idea you might be right. It might be, it might have been like Palpatine's idea to build it here. So basically, but I think Vader had put it here so that he could focus. Basically, it was the place where he lost Padme and everything else. And, and I think it was, well, it was, it was basically uh, the I location think, of the death of Anakin, you know? Right. And the birth of Vader, yeah. per se. So, uh, this is, this made me so happy to see, by the way, to see Vader back on screen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the only issue I have with it is, you can kind of tell the age in James Earl Jones's voice. Yeah. His voice is a little shakier. Um, 
but it was so great to see him and so great to see him like threatening and menacing. Yes. You know, where he was, I don't want to say he was a caricature, caricature, but in episode three there, I didn't find him threatening at all. No. <laughs> Mainly because of, you know, how things turned out, et cetera, where this is like, you know, and I like when like Krennic goes in thinking he's all that. And then when like he's talking and Vader walks up to him and he almost looks like he's going to wet himself. Yeah. Did you um did you read through uh some of that stuff in that oh that piece that I found on the Wayback Machine on a internet archive so. um I sent you let me find what this link was called really quick it was that Star Wars official poster magazine no that might be a thing we'll have to talk about next uh next episode when we're covering episode four because I was that yeah, was um I'll look, released I'll look through it too. after episode four came out and so it's like almost all just like based off of ideas and speculation that had come out after episode four so there was stuff about like oh is vader going to return again and the speculations on like the origin of vader and whatnot right Um, and there were some bits that it's like oh man where'd you pull this bit from because i you know hadn't thought about this where like they bring up how uh vader had all of his like limbs and everything burned off and and whatnot and right. all this there's some pieces in it that i'm like oh wow this was some real early information that you could see where there was the beginnings of these things that would get tweaked for later right i love this because this really reflects like how the rebellion is like towards the end of rebels because uh you know spoiler for rebels the last season or two is kind of the rebel alliance coming together right uh, from these, from the character's point of view, and I, and this matches kind of how they are in the season four of Rebels, where nobody really agrees, nobody can really come up with a plan for anything because you have all of these competing ideologies. Yeah, you know, the Senate is still going, so some people are worried about their standing in the Senate. You know, some people are just plain scared. You know, you just have these clashes that I really like. Uh, there's Barris uh, and Selmy, by the mm-hmm. way. Playing uh, Dodonna. Yep, I just looked that up on IMDb just before we started. Otherwise, I would not have recognized him. <laughs> I didn't at first, to be honest with you. But I, I, I really do. I like this speech that she gives. And it's interesting that she gives the speech because a lot of the complaints from the early trailers was that she seemed really snarky and didn't have a lot of, like, emotion to it her. It seems like that's what a lot of people say about a lot of the female leads out of Star Wars, though. Yeah, like that seems to be everybody's first thing is either they're flat or they're too snarky. Uh, but, you know, this is great. And in canon, this is actually recorded. And throughout the war, people see this speech she gives. And Mon Mothma and, and her journals basically talk about how this was a defining moment, you know, how she stood up to them and, you know, gave this plea that, you know, you know what's what's the point you know uh, you know we have hope and that's what a rebellion needs and you know yeah and then when she basically they say no and she gets her own group together and goes and sacrifices herself like that's you know a source of strength in the rebellion and it brings them together and you yeah, know it's, it's that like um actually ends it's up that doing it anyways because it's the right thing to do right and it really like solidifies a lot of stuff in the rebellion and brings them together you know and also the destruction of Alderaan. Yeah. You know, the dis- um, dissolution of the of the Senate, you know, all that kind of stuff, like, adds to it. But this is, like, a key moment where... Yeah, I hadn't even thought about how um, 
just how shortly after all of this, Alderaan gets destroyed. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's why it makes me sad, you know, that last parting words of Bail Organa where he's like, I'm heading back to Alderaan, and it's like, oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love this bit, though. And, and I love the, like, kind of the connection, whether it's earned or not, that she has with Baze and Chirrut. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's a bit where, like, later on he calls her little sister, even. Yeah, because, I mean, it is relatively short, but I don't know. But I feel like it's there. Like, there's a scene a little bit ago on the ship after uh, Galen dies where Chirrut grabs her hand. Yeah. You know, it's basically, like, you know, consoling her and basically saying he feels it, too. Yeah. You know, which I like. I think there in the background you can see my boy Pow. Yeah. Because, of course, I latch onto the weirdest fucking thing. <laughs> Kit Fisto. I see your Powell. boy K2 back there, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really have one for uh, uh, the new trilogy. I don't have a weird thing to latch onto yet. No? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm sure I'll find something. Yeah, we'll find one. I'll, I'll go four layers deep on, the, on Wikipedia and I'll come up with something. Yeah. I, I like this speech because it's like, there is an ugly side to the rebellion. Yeah. And we're willing to, like, it haunts us. Yeah. And we're willing to, like, we're willing to make a stand and we're probably going to make it, but it means that something we do actually matters as opposed to all of the... Yeah, it's just a, this is an attempt to, um, to atone for things. Right. Um, I love Yavin 4. I love how it looks. Makes me... Makes me uh, very nostalgic. Yeah, it's this is sort of a giddy nostalgia just seeing Yav yep. again. Um, I guess another one of the games, Rogue Squadron <laughs> Three, had a bit where you are playing as I think you're playing as Luke running through the Yavin temples. Um, as uh, just after the Battle of Yavin Four. Yes. Where I guess um, either you're cleaning up the troops or you're like gearing up the uh, the transports. And you're right. like trying to defend the temple while uh while the transports are loaded. I think that's what's happening. I yeah, I kind of remember that too. I can't remember for certain because it's been years since I played Rogue Squadron anything, but I like how sure it's like okay, now we're talking. Yeah. This um this little bit is a little bit cheesy, but I kind of like it at the same time. Do you? I I wasn't a big fan of it with the with the Rogue One thing. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite, but I mean it's just it's one of those things where I I kind of have an issue when it's when it's so present to the uh, title card reference. Yeah, like kind of in the same way that like at the end of uh, the latest Fantastic Four, right? How that one goes, where it's just I don't know. There's some cheesy uh naming and title sequences i'm like i'm not into this so much especially because like a sequence like that we could have just done without but i don't know yeah those ships look great yeah they do that poor dude is up there all the time yeah i'm worried dude in like two days you're gonna be like checking out the millennium falcon landing i remember those were uh turrets that you get into in um Battlefront 2. Yeah. Talking about Obi-Wan here.
Yeah, when you think about it, like, episode four, like, there's a ton that happens in just an extremely short amount of time. Yeah. I like this, too, because you can hear him in the kind of the periphery say, uh, Captain Antilles, I have a mission for you. Mm. Oh, yeah, there he is. And his time is about to come to an end. Vader's gripping his throat here in about a day <laughs> or less. Wedges. Considering, like, considering, like, time frames of hyperspace are a little, uh, a little jelly That's now. That's what I was going to say is, like, um, that is what makes uh, the timeline of episode four a little weird is, like, how long hyperspace actually takes. <laughs> I wonder if hyperspace is just also kind of controlled by the force. And it takes however long the force feels it needs to take. <laughs> It's a great shot. Yeah. All of the ship stuff, all of the space stuff looks incredible. It's kind of ruminating. It's one of the reasons yeah. why coming up the uh the space battle, this space battle coming up is probably my favorite battle in all of Yeah. Yeah, it's a really like it's it's a good sequence. It's it's maybe not as good as episode 3's, but it's still a good sequence. Yeah, and like for different reasons though, I yeah. think. Um I am completely against alteration of the the original trilogy any more than it already has. But if anything, the two things I'd like to see changed is uh, the Obi Wan Vader duel, yeah, um, and the Battle of Yavin itself. Like I would like to see them redo because it's like you can keep the cockpit shots, obviously, because you're using archive footage in this from Episode Four, yeah. So you can keep it. But you could redo all of the effect, you know, the ships, everything else. Like, I would love to see the Battle of Yavin with this type of quality. Yeah, like, as well as just, like, an expansion of it, you know? Yeah, um, right. I definitely wouldn't mind that. This is really neat, this, like, shield around the planet type deal. Yeah, if you need to get out, you gotta call 1-800-Druidia. Mm-hmm. It is it is a thing where it's like, man, Spaceballs was really on this early. Yeah. It's like the passcode is zero, is like one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. It'd be fun to cover like Spaceballs at some point, but I'm I'm very uh hesitant to cover comedies. Uh, maybe that's a watch along slash Patreon thing, maybe. Yeah. So we've we've got We've got clerks currently on there, and I was just looking at them like, ooh, I wonder if we're going to be able to really talk our way through it. Because it is a thing where it's like it was a highly, like, influential, and uh, I, I don't necessarily know if I would call it generation-defining, but, like, you know, it was kind of a big deal. But I seem to be like, oh, man, but that might be hard to talk through. I think it's more about the impact of the film than the film itself and that kind of thing. Yeah. Here's another speech by Jin, too, in, like, ten minutes. I, I feel like, though, in these sorts of movies, these war movies, like, they're almost defined by speeches. Yeah. It's like speeches and big set pieces, I think, are the two defining things about war movies. And you kind of have to have it. It'd be weird not to have it. Yeah. You gotta have that moment of, like... This, like, rallying the troops and everything. And, yeah, uh, right redefining stakes
There's Pow. I love this. This is a line from the trailer had too, where it's like, make 10 men feel like 100. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love that idea of like, yeah, we're the, we're like the, the, the dirty two dozen or whatever. Speaking of trailers, those Rogue One trailers, I think were, were not terrible, right? It, it definitely felt like a thing where it's like it showed enough to get your interest without really telling you like what the fuck is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it was because it was a movie you already knew like what it was about anyway. Yeah, to some extent. If yeah. you were a fan of Star Wars at all. So it was enough just to get the tone and the visuals down. And that was. Yeah, that was enough for me. It's like, OK, this looks like a war movie. And I remember like seeing a lot of trailer reactions and, and getting trailer reviews and stuff afterwards where people are like, yeah, this looks like a war movie. Yeah, like this. This looks like Zero Dark Thirty and in, in a galaxy far, far away. Like and a lot of people immediately were, were in. Yeah. I have this using this uh, this steam type deal. Like those, that always is such a cool look. Yeah. It's, it's like, in this sense, they're going up into it, though. Typically, that steam comes down and somebody comes out of it and makes them look really badass. Yeah. What do you think of Krennic's ship? It's interesting. It's like, it's almost like a modified, like, T-16 uh, or something. Like the Skyhopper type deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a it's like a mixture of the T sixteen and um the Lambda class shuttle from uh Empire and Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's like an it's supposed to be like an earlier version of it, I'm sure. Yeah. That are like modified for some purpose or another. See it's a nice moment. Yeah. Nobody's going to stop uh, Cassian and tell him that he's not shaving in two weeks, breaks any type of protocols. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not quite looking up to standard. Nobody's going to see yeah. the, the aliens or anything as well, thankfully. Yeah. There's a shot coming up here. It's not in the movie, but there was a shot in the... Um, of her wearing that stuff where she's like in a hallway and the lights come up and she turns around Yep. and it's a, a line from saw that's cut out that says, what will you become? And it's, she turns around and everybody's like, Oh my God, is she a double agent? Yeah. I think that's what I brought up earlier where there was the idea of her potentially being a, right. a double agent that I remember a lot of the speculation right. was driven just by that scene. Right. And it's actually was never even supposed to be in the movie. She was going between sets uh -huh. and somebody had turned the lights on and like cameras were rolling. And, and they basically had caught that from what I read. Like it was not like it was never going to be in the movie. It was just a cool, like cool shot or something that somebody grabbed. Yeah. And it like led to so much. <laughs> I just kind of assumed she was going deep undercover. Yeah, me too. Which I don't know how deep you can get in a two hour movie, but I didn't care. I mean, you could you could have gone from like her being a kid then jump cut to her as an imperial or something sure you know and it even helps the fact that they have a um imperial combat droid with them yeah it just makes them a little bit more legit 
And that's another thing that, like, I don't think um, was really, I never thought about it, at least back when I was younger and watching the original trilogy was uh, droids rules in the, uh, in the Empire. Like, I had never thought about uh, Imperial combat droids, really. Yeah, me either. They were largely for, like, maintenance or interrogation purposes. It really wasn't something I thought of until HK-47 came around. Mm-hmm. Which man was it HK forty seven HK I would love HK? to see on uh, on screen somewhere. Yeah, that's why people got kind of excited when they were talking about actually doing Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, like adapting it itself. People were like, "Are you kidding me?" Like a a K two style like assassin droid or K two attitude because that's his attitude does kind of remind me of. Oh yeah, just more uh, genocidal against humans, right? Scarif really is gorgeous, though. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my favorite I, I love designs. the idea. You know, you've got an ice planet, a desert planet. Kamino's a water planet. Why not have a... Although, you know, the thing is, they could be making bank if they just turn this into a uh, tourist destination, I'm sure. Oh, could you imagine your time off? Like... You get a weekend off? understanding, those are all, like, I think, sulfur pits or something. Oh. I think so. I think, I think that you're, the water's rather unpleasant. I'm not sure. For sure, you know, but uh, you don't have to that's say not, that in the va- you don't have to say that fun. in the uh, vacation brochure, right? Oh, so I I found something out. Uh, I think yesterday. Mm. Uh, so throughout all of uh, episode one, I called the uh, yeah. the other Yoda species Yordle. I guess that's not it. I guess it's something like Yaddle or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yaddle. Yeah. I I just, I must have, like, absorbed that from a misreading of, of like, my episode one <laughs> illustrated guide or something. And that just yeah. stuck with me for, like, 15 years. But I, Yaddle, I saw... who apparently people, like, had a shit fit about I was reading the other day that people were really pissed there was another, to this day, unnamed species that Yoda's a part of. And I never even, it never even occurred to me that Yaddle doesn't show up again. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what it was. That's what it really like thrilled me when I saw the stills of the council chamber in that illustrated dictionary. Was like, oh shit! Like, yeah. Oh, I love those uh, those like sand troopers. The shore troopers. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like that. There's like mouse droids running around. Yeah, too. mouse droids and gonk droids are two of my favorites because I love the gonks yep. just walking around. Gonk. 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 And I, I just, I fucking love Baze's gun. Yep. I like Chirrut's, like, thing, too, though. Yeah. His little bow, whatever. I guess it really is a bow staff. <laughs> yeah. Some Final Fantasy VIII shit. I love love this. Like everybody in the theater at that point's like, "Oh shit!" Yep. Here comes Vader. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's head is busted open. Right. That is a Three Stooges style smack, but with much worse consequences. Yep. yep. <laughs> I love this bit here. 
Uh, here comes, uh, I think, is this where Chopper is? No, not yet. Yeah, there's yep. Chopper. Right on the left side of the screen going by. Chopper from Star Wars Rebels. I never took enough advantage of Chopper and Galaxy Heroes. From my understanding, is a really decent tank. I love this or look. Utility. Um, the only time I ever used him was when I made a Rebels team. Yeah, when you were running with the uh, Phoenix Squadron, or yeah, yeah, Phoenix Squadron. See, I always used um, Sabine over uh, over Chopper. I, used... I think just because I got her first. Yeah, maybe I did. Because I always use Sabine almost all the time. So I, Last time I played anyway. I would use her. I would use uh, Kanan. Ezra. Um, this is... Okay, two things. This is so episode four that it makes me giggly. Two, I didn't need R2 and, and 3PO. 3PO there. Yeah. Um, because if Admiral Radis is already already up at his ship, why are they down there and how do they get up there so fast? Yeah. I would have liked to have seen them at the very end. Yeah, on, on the Tantus. On the yep, on the Tantus four. Like uh um Antilles could have walked by them. Yeah. And it would have made me like it just that it was so like egregiously in your face. Like, oh, here's three PO and R2, and it's like mm, it just didn't like fit into like what was happening at the time. Yeah. So it's, it's like a nitpick, but Actually, I really liked, I guess, just this whole, like, last third of the movie. The last act. Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. I love that bit. We kind of skipped over it, that bit where they start setting off the the detonators and, like, everybody's looking out, and it's just like, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom. Like, all just all across all of the landing pads. Yes. Yeah, that's another <laughs> just, like, absolutely gorgeous shot. Oh, yeah, this uh, walker. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're like ATCTs or something like that. Like they're transport, like cargo style ones instead of like troop transports like the regulars. Yeah. And I like how they've got this like almost like that mossy type look to them. Yep. Oh my God. My favorite shot. Yeah. Oh, I just filled the cup. That's very, um, to some extent, and like here uh, comes. Star Trek reboot as well, like the jumping straight into a battle type deal. There's the ghost there at the bottom of the screen that just went by. Oh, yes. I love, I love that. I, oh, my God. I'm so happy. Um, they did go back and uh, dig through the Lucasfilm archives and find a bunch of footage that hadn't been used mm -hmm. in episode four and cleaned it up and stuck it in there. Yeah, and I mean, it's, um, so it's some not... of those shots from those guys back in you know that you see in episode four is actually like stuff that wasn't used. Yeah, and it's it's not incredibly noticeable, right? You like you don't notice the changes in uh, camera quality too much. Yeah, I don't think it's real noticeable at all, to be honest with you. Um, the one guy, I don't remember if it was Gold Leader or not. One of them is actually still alive, and he redid his lines over the footage. Oh, nice. I think it's Gold Leader. Uh, there goes Blue Squadron. Uh, Blue Squadron was originally um, 
what the main squadron Luke was a part of. Yeah. Um, except the blue uh, paint on the X-Wings conflicted with the blue screens they used. Mm-hmm. So they had to repaint them to red, so they became Red Squadron. And I feel like the red just is so much cooler looking. And of course, I guess that they must have, uh, as a callback, used the blue for um, the sequel trilogy, I guess. Yeah. Potentially, or maybe maybe it just could have been a thing that they just did. It's just interesting to see them going from the original Blue Squadron to the Blue Squadron again within uh, 7. Right. But it is kind of an explanation of why you don't see them in the Battle of Yavin, because they go down to the planet and all get wiped out. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I love seeing that ship, or I guess those ships, smack into the shield. That's, uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a fun shot. It looks very visceral. visceral. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes it seem like it's, well, I mean, I guess it makes sure that you know, like, no, this is a tangible shield. Right. Um... Fun thing, uh, Jin is uh, Jin is a sergeant here. Oh, really? uh, some of the it's never mentioned in the film. Um, it was cut, but some of the um, uh, some of the uh, the toys and some of the merchandising called her Sergeant Urso. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and apparently in the uh, novelization, it's said that. Uh, she's made a sergeant on the way down. Okay. So some of, you'll sometimes see her referred to on, on packaging as Sergeant or Sergeant Jin or so. Kind of a fun little tidbit. <laughs> I love this right yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that look at his face where he's like, crap. Yeah, and then these ships coming in to save the day. Yeah. Oh. So in the original trailer, there was a shot of Jin going across the bridge and the TIE fighter coming uh-huh. out. They're coming up yeah, to meet yeah, her. Yeah, I remember that. Um, that's the reason that that was cut was because um, that TIE fighter would come up and meet her and then it would suddenly blow up and an X-Wing would go by. Uh-huh. And they felt like that just happened with the, yeah. the AT-ATs. And they were like, the, you know, the, that's too similar. So they cut it out, which is why it's not in the... They changed Yeah, that. you kind of just get one of those. Yeah. And I would definitely much rather it be where it was than uh, with Jen. There's a uh, shot uh, when uh, two troopers are walking by before the battle starts. One of them says uh, something about the T-15s being obsolete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in The Force Awakens, when Rey is hiding on Starkiller base, two stormtroopers walk by and talk about the new T-17s. Oh, nice. Ugh. See, could you imagine the battle in the Death Star? Yeah. Looking like this in A New Hope? Yeah, if we could get a couple so more good. like of uh, these ships like attempting their, their trench runs and stuff. Yeah. Oh, and the sounds of those. Ugh. Sound design's killing it. Mm-hmm. Here comes Biston. Yep. Never used him. Biston the, Biston the space monkey. He's got some wicked eyebrows, though. Yeah. I like seeing how that, yeah, that so just split apart down that uh they're meant um, cargo cavity. Yeah, they're meant for cargo, so they're not supposed to be as tough as the AT-ATs are. I feel like it's maybe a bit impractical, right? Like there's probably better things to be using for cargo transport, but absolutely, it seems to be the, the Empire in general, right? Where there's no opposing force really, 
that can offer yeah. any actual resistance. So they kind of just go for these wildly ineffective designs. Right. Uh, those controls and getting that thing, apparently, on uh, New Rockstar's video, I saw that um, apparently they're very similar to the controls used in a scene in uh, THX 1138. Oh, yeah. Or THX. Is it 1138? Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the scenes, uh, they use these controls like that. It's supposed to be a callback to that, I guess. Um. I wonder if we should maybe try and cover that at some point. I don't know. THX? Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean... Actually, it might be one of those mid-70s slots we have open. Maybe. I, I just wonder if we will have hit a point where we're, like, over Lucas by then. <sighs> yeah, I think he redid those lines there. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Here we go. Well, you guys love are screwed. That shot. Yeah, having all these, <laughs> yeah. these TIE fighters just pour out. You really get the... Yeah, uh, look at all those bays around there. The, the difference in, in strength and, and resources. Uh, so this is Admiral Raddus. Um, I love the little fishbowl that uh, is underneath his, uh, his command seat there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the flagship in The Last Jedi is named the Raddus. After him. Oh, interesting. I had seen something. Don't quote me on this, but I had seen something in, in like a visual dictionary or something like that. Apparently they were talking about the Mon Cal, mm-hmm. uh, that their ships are actually made up of like buildings and stuff from their planet. Oh, that'd be interesting. And like that uh, ship is actually supposed to be like, like a, like a, a block from like the capital city. Okay. And like Radis was the mayor of that city. <laughs> so is it just a thing where like uh, the like Mon Cal and, and other groups are are in there because of how uh, I guess that's the whole point is that their their planets are heavily exploited. Yeah, for resources. I wonder what the Mon Cal planets exploited for. Maybe it's just one of those ones. That's like I don't a know. I almost want to say. God, I could be wrong in this too, but I almost want to say there's a storyline in in some of the new Vader comics, uh, considering with the Inquisitors that something happens on the Mon Cal uh, planet that causes them to to join the rebellion or something. I could be thinking we have a different species though. Mm-hmm. Man, it's a good thing that everything's got the same connector. Yeah, that's kind of smart, right? He's not in Europe. He doesn't need an adapter. Yeah, or even just here, where it's like, oh, nope, sorry, this was this is in USB C. <laughs> that seems kind of um, Indiana Jones Jones ish. Yeah, where he's trying to hook stuff up and it's wrapped around a th- uh, a corner. Yeah. Uh, I think she, when she's leading stuff up or something, there was like a Project Darksaber or something like that, or Black Saber, mm-hmm. which uh, the uh, the Dark Saber is uh, something from Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, that the Mandalorians have. Is that supposed to be one of those whole things where it's like uh, proto lightsaber type deal? Like an old relic. Um, it was an ancient lightsaber that the Mandalorians got a hold of, right. and and basically the 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 person who wields it is, uh, I don't want to say the person who wields it is a, is a leader, but there's a, a um, 
like you're more revered. Right. You're more legit, I guess, if you have the 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 dark saber. It's really cool. I like how that whole thing works. It reminds me of like the claw yeah. game from the uh How sad were you? Uh extremely. This yeah, this this was the one death death that really bummed me out. I was broken up over that and I'll admit I keep getting really bummed over like knowing Pow's gonna die. Every time he pops up on screen, like there's a bit where he's like yelling his little lizard brains out, and I'm like, oh man, you're gonna be dead soon. <laughs> um, yeah, so some of the changes that they made, uh, most of the reshoots were done to the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, I have read something like up to 40% of be reshot of the film, but the third act had changed a lot, which you can see in the trailers. There's a lot of shots from the third act that aren't in there. But one of them was that they had to like get from they had to get the the plants from one building and they had to go to another building to transmit them, which is the shots you get of all of them running across the beach, you know, like in a big battle. Right. Uh, But there's a uh, there's like a clip from like a BTS clip from like ABC or like something like that that shows Alan Tudyk in his motion capture suit getting shot and falling down. Mm -hmm. Um, next to an already dead Cassian. Okay. Like at the like doors to like either that bunker or the bunker where they transmit. So there was like several ways that he was going to die. Um, there was also a shot of Krennic like walking across the water with his cape flowing behind him. Yeah. Which was an awesome shot where he was like looking at the, uh, you know, surveying the battle basically. Yeah, because I would have loved to see him in an almost, well, I don't actually... No, I take that back. I was going to say I would have loved to see him in a more active role, but I almost like him better not being, uh, I don't know, overly involved in the battle itself. Yeah. Well, there was a, um, there was a version, Gary would have said, where Krennic actually survives the Death Star blast. Mm-hmm. And, like, they find him afterwards in a bunch of ru- rubble. Right. And, like, Vader kills him. Which, I'm not quite sure how you survive a blast from the Death Star, but yeah, yeah, that's another one where it's definitely like no, I prefer him like going out in the blast as well. Yeah, yeah, there was a bunch of there was some stuff in the um at Gavin Four that was cut out or, or reshot with Jin and uh, her initial interrogation. Uh, there was some lines and some stuff with Saw that was cut out. Um, you know that kind of stuff. But I like this because once K2SO falls, you're like, oh, shit, like, we might be going there. Yeah, and like, the you know, and this starts. Turn. Yep. And this starts like solidifying it, too, where it's like people, they actually start like very quickly. They start picking these guys off like one by one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's you know, like and, the plot armor just suddenly dropped. Yeah. And, and you are kind of like, oh, crap, like. For me, that was the big question going th- like through all this third act is like, are they are they going to do this? Are they all going to die? Are some of them going to die? Like, mm-hmm. surely they don't have the balls to kill everybody off. Man, I'm so curious what's in the rest of those uh, containers. You know, the the yeah, what's on the rest of those discs, I guess. Yeah. I guess it is a thing is uh, with them destroying this. I wonder how much of their uh, research was lost or if they've got it backed up somewhere else. Uh, that's yeah i don't know that's a good question it almost sounds like at least as far as the death star goes this is it Mm -hmm. but surely not i mean they build another one yeah 
which also, man, you saw how much the mining they had to do for kyber crystals here. Now think about yeah. them having to do it again. Well, that is a thing, too. Like, I've seen some videos where people were talking about, like, were they building another one already? Because it takes 20 years to build this. Right. I wonder if it is also and a thing, though, of, like, we've, we've learned things along the way where we can now cut these corners here and there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but when you're talking 20 years, and the, the Civil War actually in the last, like, what? It's, like, three to five years. I don't know exactly what it is, but that's a... To have, like, a, a 50, 60% done Death Star, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they would have had a, a, lot. a second one by then for sure. Yeah, I, that's what I wonder, too, is if they were if they were actually building uh, a couple of them. There was an interesting, uh, I don't know if it was a video in an article I read or something that basically talked about how the rebels destroyed the galactic economy. Oh, I would believe it. By, de by destroying the Death Star. Oh, yeah, because you think about all the, the resources that just, like, disappeared. Yep. I love this. I mean, I knew he was dead. But I love that bit. Yeah. Which bummed me out, too. This is pretty smart by Krennic, too. Like, I'm just going to watch. Okay, there we go. I'm not going to hide behind anything. I'm just going to wait. Yep. That looks painful. Oh, my ribs. Oh, my other ribs. Oh, my back, my ribs, everything. Oh, uh, my spleen. I don't think I thought he was dead at that point, though, but... No. Oh, that's a tough way to go. Yeah, but yet again, we see those blasters, man. They're either highly explosive or surgical precision. Yeah, they, 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 they're going to be what they got to be. Yeah. Um, there's a new Ip Man coming out, by the way. Yes. And did you watch any of the, uh, the other ones? I haven't. I saw the trailer for, a fourth one, for the fourth one a, a week or so ago. I, I haven't watched any of the others, though. I, I kind of want to. Me too. I've, I haven't watched any of them. They've been on my list for the longest time, but there's a bunch of stuff that's been on my list for a while that I'll probably get to before Ip Man. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's such a good shot. And I love that, like, swooping in and following. It's just like... There's the ghost again. Yep. General Sandula. That was the other thing, too, is uh, Hera's name is mentioned in the briefing room and the overhead speakers you can hear him say general sedula report to the briefing room mm, yes yeah Hera was the other one that's yeah. on my phoenix team because you kind of can't have your phoenix team without Hera. yeah it's pretty uh oh, otherwise good old ion torpedoes mm -hmm. yeah definitely i love that klaxon Oh, there goes his goggles for the first time. I do like his, like, I also like how the Mon Cal and Murray are like, yeah, I'm just going to spin around on my chair. Yeah. Like the Empire has to walk up and down their things. He's like, no, I'm just going to spin around, yep. dude. I got this. Yeah, that's way better designed. Oh, this bums me out, too. This is, like, where it's, like, holy shit, they've killed everybody within, like, three minutes. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Is as soon as the first person goes, the rest of them go pretty quick, too. Yep. Yep, because there goes, uh, you know, Chirrut, he goes, and then once he sees this blows up, he basically knows it's, we're done. Yeah. 
So he just goes out, and it's like, wow, almost the entire team is gone now in a matter of a couple of minutes. Yeah. They didn't mess around, which I appreciate. I like. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him survive, but there was, a, there was actually a, uh, a version where um, K2 died, but uh, everybody else lived. Yeah. I guess it does have the problem was, of um, if any of them did live, then it would <clears throat> raise the question of like, oh, well, why aren't these living heroes playing more of a role in the actual uh, original trilogy, you know? Yeah, well, and there was one where um, there was an ending where Jin and Cassian live and they go to Coruscant mm-hmm. and they hide out in Coruscant traffic and they transmit the plans to Leia and the Tantive Four, who's taking off from Coruscant and it kind of blows her cover. Right. Um, and then they self-destruct the ship so that they can't be caught and tortured by Vader. Um, <clears throat> and then there was a version that I had heard of uh, where... Um, oh, man, didn't want to lose a pinky oh, on that. I love this. So these are the Hammerhead Corvettes. There's three of them that uh, Princess Leia uh, helps the Alliance get in an episode of Rebels. Okay. So it's really cool to see him because there's an entire episode devoted to him. But this is so great that they basically use one to take out the other. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those brilliant bits of like, this is how the rebellion wins the war. It's just yep. these moments of like, hey, we can we these are the materials we're given. Let's try this with them. Yep, exactly. Um, anyway, there was a version where they lived, and it was the one uh, where uh, Cassian was a double agent. Mm-hmm. And he decides, of course, to go to the, you know, stick with the good side. And uh, he sets off a carbonite bomb in the ship that they're escaping in and makes it look like Vader destroys the ship. And they basically survive in carbonite until the, like, they're found, like, at the end of the war or something or later on. Got it. After the wars at some point. And that's basically how they're, you know, alive and they still, you know, made it or whatever. But that got axed. It was one of those things where they expected to get a lot of kickback from Disney. And I guess Kathleen Kennedy was like, we don't hear about these guys ever again in any of the movies. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it makes sense that, you know, they've got to go that way. And it's like, well, kudos to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a good move. uh, to have done. Here is extremely classic Gacino. Gacino always has these orchestral pieces, like at the beginning of star Trek, when, uh, uh, Kirk, yeah, um, sacrifices himself, uh, going against the Narada. You know, he's got that very like, um, uh, just these really like classic orchestral pieces. Not that bit there, but when they, when she transmits and all of the uh, the debris comes down to drop the shield, yeah, it becomes very quiet uh, orchestral stuff. You know, he did it a lot in Fringe and. I keep thinking of Star Trek, but it seems like there's something else, too, that I... You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, about. I looked up his, uh, what he's composed for, and there's it's not a small list. Oh, Gacino is an incredibly prolific composer. It's one of those things where I don't know if I just became more aware of composers or if composers started moving more into the mainstream, right? Where it's like, I don't think until uh, some of Nolan's films, I would have like recognized Hans Zimmer. But then once you look at everything that he's done, it's like, Oh shit, you've been around for a minute. Yeah. This is like the opposite of a bond villain. Yeah. Where it's the hero that tells him, tells the villain, the, all the plan. Yeah. 
Yeah, hero monologuing is a bit strange. <laughs> Definitely a, a reversal. I like, too, how he um, he kind of lets his Australian accent mm-hmm. like get worked into it a little bit so he doesn't sound like he's directly from Coruscant. Yeah. You know, where, like, you take... Um, here we go. Here's this music. Yeah. Um, and I just... I love this shot here as well. Yeah. Where it's all coming mm-hmm. down. Yeah. And seeing it like just smash against that shield like that. Uh, when you listen to like uh, Tarkin, he has that very uppity British accent. Yeah. And he does it and it just kind of like confirms that he doesn't come from like high society. Yeah. Yeah. He attempts to emulate it, but it slips sometimes. Even though it doesn't necessarily sound Star Wars. I love this. I love the music. Yeah. It's, it's not terrible. It just seems like like Giacchino at his best. Yeah. You know, you guys live in the Star Wars universe. I don't think you should ever trust that someone's actually gone, right? You should be playing by, like, horror rules. And, like, look, if there's still a a body that's not entirely dismembered, then you're not actually gone. I should pump you full of a couple extra uh, blaster bolts. (laughs) Right. I do like how they use the the original Death Star plans graphics from Episode 4 in there. That's a gorgeous shot. Yes, it is. It's also one of my favorite shots of um, of the Death Stars when um, Krennic wakes up and he looks up and it's the uh, Death Star is tilted in a way that the the dish is facing down. Like you're used to seeing it like from the you know straight onto the axis. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier as well with um with having it flipped uh, back right. in the. This always like because I have like a crippling, uh, like a crippling obsession and fear of death. This scene always freaks me out. Like this shot right here. Yeah, that's gorgeous. Incredible. Uh, this idea that it's like, hey, we know we're gonna die in like two minutes. Yeah, like that causes me to have minor panic attacks. Yeah, and just that they're like, okay, well, you you just have no choice but to make peace with this. Yep, like it's coming. It's you know, I love that. Oh, I just love how it looks. And good night. I love how it vaporizes the top of that tower. It's like, fuck this. And the destruction effects, destruction effects are incredible. And I also like how every, like it gives a little more, um, uh, it, uh, like people have seen it. Yeah. It gives a little more context into the when they fight the the Battle of Yavin because it's like some of these guys have absolutely seen what this thing can do. Yeah, I love these shots too when the uh, when Vader's ship comes in. Yeah, and like how the the actual like uh, sound effects cut out. You don't really get as much of the yeah. explosions or, or laser bolts. Right. Yeah. It kind of just you know it muffles that and brings the music in, which to be fair is also a very uh, Star Trek type deal. Yeah. Star Trek, uh, the JJ yes. verse, the yeah. Kelvin verse. I don't know. I think that that just looks great. Yeah. This. Yeah. See that. James Earl Jones's age is. Yeah, you definitely catch a bit of it there. Uh, yeah. It's rough. 
I love the look on his face just as the shockwave hits. How his eyes like get all yeah. wide. That's like a that's a detail I probably could have done without. Damn, man, must have gotten real toasty though. I love the shockwaves. Yeah. Like you have that outer one that's basically taking out all the clouds. Yes. I love how that looks. Oh, I love that sound there. There's nothing like that TIE fighter sound. Yeah. Man. Um, yeah, so we can talk about like what's considered one of the most famous scenes now the, in the Vader hallway massacre. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, let's face it. It's just, it's extremely badass. I don't know if it was necessarily a thing that I was even expecting uh, coming I, into it. I, I wasn't. When this scene came up, I suddenly realized it was coming, but I was so happy because they brought horror. They brought a horror movie to Star well, it's, Wars because this is terrifying. Brought up, I, think. Uh, I think during our episode two or three commentary was like about how much of a terrifying force Vader must be. Yeah. I mean, if you've never seen anything like this before, like. And then he just you just can't stop him. And uh, this music, the, the chorus is actually the Imperial March slowed way, 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 way down. Oh, it absolutely is. If you speed it up, it actually they actually sing the uh, Imperial March. Well, can you get a little bit of, of it there where it, where it gives a bump, 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 bump? See, look at that. That's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that this is the, I mean, just the desperateness. Yeah. Like, you feel it. Like, they are, they are horrified and it's like, and then the moment this pops up, it's like, oh my God, we're, we're going there. This is, you know, this is minutes before episode four. Yeah. And that's the bit of Giacchino's music I really like. It's like, okay, that's, that feels like Star yeah. Wars. I like how he worked those themes in. See, I would have liked to have seen him get past the droids yes. here. Or something. That would have. How do you feel about the layout? Uh, again, same thing with the Tarkin. Not a fan. Didn't yep. need it. I didn't mind it. I like it. It looks a little I, bit it's better not than perfect, did, but um, you know, it's not uh, you know, it's not perfect, but I don't. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not offensive, you know. No, and my understanding was that she really liked right. it. Yeah. I got it. That's, I think, my only second time watching that movie. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, Honestly, I think uh, Rogue One and Solo might be some of my, like, least watched ones. And I can't necessarily I think Solo is that for me. Um, I guess when it comes to Star Wars, I always prefer coming back to what I'm familiar with. You know, I think uh, I I only recently had my second watch of, uh, of Last Jedi. Uh, right. Force Awakens I've watched like three times though I think it's a I think um, like the lighter tone of Force Awakens makes it a more rewatchable movie yeah over Last Jedi uh, one of the producers uh, Kiri Hart there is part of uh, the Star Wars story group which is a group that they put together after um, Disney bought it and they got rid of all canon right. uh, the story group's responsible for making sure that all everything like meets uh canon so like 
if you're writing a book, you have to be in contact with them saying, <clears throat> you know, I'd like to use this character for this or this setting, or I'd like to add this planet, or I'd like this to happen in the universe. And the story group goes through and looks at their entire plan for canon and says, you know, okay, you can use that, or no, you can't use that person here, or, um, you know, you can't have this event happen, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And they went and was talking to them and said, you know, we, uh, I think it was Gareth Edwards was like, I want, uh, you know, I want this, astre- this extremist uh, character, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was Kiri, it was either Kiri Hart or Pablo Hidalgo who said, actually, we have a character for that, you know, Saw Gerrera uh, fits that perfectly. Yeah. And, you know, so they brought Saw Gerrera in to fit that, uh, to fit that, that thing. Um, you know, speaking uh, of what you're talking about, um, The Force Awakens, I think I saw three times in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it came out on digital, I think I watched it like three or four times, yeah. like within a few weeks of it coming out. It's funny because after Last Jedi came out, and and I don't hate Last Jedi by any means. Um, I bought, I pre-ordered it on digital, mm-hmm. and it was still like several weeks or more before I actually watched yeah. it. And I think on digital, I've only seen it like once or twice. It's it's interesting, like. And again, I don't hate it. I mean, we'll get to it eventually. Um, you know, there were some parts I really liked about it, et cetera. But there, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. I think it might have just been the tone, the fact that it's just really fun to watch. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I like the interactions of the characters a little bit better, the pairing of the characters, I guess, maybe, or the groupings. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, it, it's more you know, of just a, that stuff in general. It's more like fun, like a uh, space adventure movie, right? And Last right. Jedi has a different tone where it almost feels a bit closer to Rogue One in some regards uh, to overall, right. like, okay, well, we are, it's it's like if you encapsulated, like, a small sliver of Empire all into one movie. Right. Because the whole thing is, right. like, the, the downward uh, moments of Empire just put into one thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I never had thought about that before. Um, yeah, so any uh, any quick final thoughts? I mean, I, we pretty much got into it that, you know, you didn't hate it, but probably it's, not something you'd watch multiple yeah, I mean, times. Yeah, it's a passable film. It's one of those ones that, like, if this was a couple years ago and it was on, like, a channel as I was flipping through, I would probably stop and watch it. That's kind of where I am, too. You know, um, TNT does Star Wars you know, marathons all the time, you know, on Labor Day or, or not Labor Day, uh, like Thanksgiving and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, and they, at least for a while, were playing Rogue One every once in a while. And I would absolutely stop and just leave it on there and ha- kind of have it in the, in the, on in the background. Yeah. I don't know when the last time I sat down and actually like watched it full on with my 100% of my attention. But, uh, you know, it's funny now that I think about it outside of the original trilogy, which I would have obviously seen 500 times anyway, I think episode seven's probably the most that i've actively like sat down and turned on and watched right you know i the the prequel trilogy you know i've seen i can't tell you how many times i guess so like maybe that's not fair but at least in this day and age i think seven's probably the one that I, if i was just gonna say i want to watch star wars i would plop down yeah of the most modern like four that's definitely i think i would watch that more than the other ones right right yeah. So, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to us, Jabber. Uh, this was this is one of my favorite Star Wars. So it's one that uh, 
I was really happy to talk about. Now we're going into the original trilogy after this, so episode four next, obviously, which picks up, I mean, depending on how hyperspace works now, it picks up mere hours, if not yeah. minutes, you know, after this. Um, you know, you hear uh, Captain Antilles say, you know, prepare the escape pods, you know, getting ready for that confrontation coming up. You know, it used to be like it would take days, if not a couple of weeks to get from one point to another, depending on where they were at. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it kind of seems like it could be minute or out minutes or hours. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just going to say probably hours uh, before they drop out at the hyperspace at Tatooine. So we're, it's almost just picks right up. That's what I loved about it is like, OK, well, you could almost cut these two together and just. You know, just keep it as, as one long movie. It's interesting because. Um, I think it was new rock stars. Eric Voss said he felt like the true ending of rogue one was the whiteout from, uh, the explosion from, um, Cassian. Oh, and, that would have been beautiful if it dying. whites out and then it's just like, keeps the white and then just does the credits on the, on black text. Yep. Yeah. He, he kind of felt like he goes, I feel like that's the actual ending of rogue one. And everything after that is a prologue or a prelude to episode yeah. four. You could almost cut like that. Like, if they too. did that as a post-credit sequence, I wouldn't have hated it. It'd be a really long credit and credit um, sequence. But I mean, most of us are sticking around till the end credits nowadays anyways, so. It's true. I can't believe people that get up and leave. It's, it's weird, but like we said before, I mean, me. it's like, you can just find that shit online. It's true. That's a good point. Um, yeah, so thanks for hanging out. Thanks for everybody who has listened to us thus far. We're on, uh, we're on episode five. That's kind of impressive. I think episode 10, I might actually break out a blue moon beer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, when we watch last Jedi. Um, uh, yeah. So thanks everybody that's listened. Thanks to everybody that subscribed so far. If you haven't, uh, do so on your favorite podcast app of choice. We're on the Apple podcasts. So we're on all of the stuff that, that feeds into their feed or gets their uh, feeds from them. We're on Spotify. Go to either one of those places and rate and review us. Um, you know, maybe something. I'm not going to tell you what to write, but five stars. Um, and tell your friends, tell your enemies. I mean, definitely tell your enemies. Uh, if you if you find our voices grating and are meandering, annoying, then hey, take us to the nearest enemy and say, hey, I, you're going to love yeah, this. At the very least, you can make them waste, you know, a couple hours of their time. And exactly. you know, when it comes down to it, and that's the most unrenewable of resources. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, anything else? Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, Twitter at right. uh, N-O-W-B-S-Pod. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's it. Knobheads, go take somebody to a movie this week. And uh, we'll catch you next uh, next episode for episode four. Yeah. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Goodnight.